This episode of LA Meekly is brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Do you grind your teeth in your sleep? Weirdo. If so, you're among 40 million other Americans who do. You're not alone. Whether it's stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite, chronic teeth grinding will lead to worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. The number one teeth grinding prevention recommended by dentists is the custom-fitted night guard. However, that is costly with the average dentist charging two to $300 per guard, and you will grind through several per year. Using Smile Brilliant's Lab Direct process, you can get the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard, Greg. I have $45. That's how cheap it is. I have it. Additionally, Smile Brilliant has custom-fitted teeth whitening trays and the Carry Pro electric toothbrush. So head over to smilebrilliant.com and use promo code LAMeekly, all one word in caps, at checkout for 30% off. Once again, that's smilebrilliant.com. Use promo code LAMeekly at checkout. Grind the bad away. What? Oh, you don't want to be grinding. Don't grind the bad away. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> hey, Craig? It's Greg. June is Pride Month, so I wanted to do something special to celebrate. That's a great idea. What a good way to be inclusive and respectful. Exactly. Respectful. That's the key word. And I wanted to take respectfulness to a whole new level this year. Perfect. So what'd you do? I dug up Liberace's bones. What? <laughs> I must have been mumbling. Let me say it again for you. I dug up Liberace's bones. Um, you what? <laughs> Let me say it again. I dug up... Please don't keep saying it. How, how'd you do this? Well, I got a shovel and... Sorry, sorry. What, what I meant was, why'd you do this? Dug up Liberace's bones? Oh my god, it gets worse every time you say it. Which part? The digging up or the Liberace's bones? Just stop. This is so ghoulish and disrespectful. How is this disrespectful? It's Pride Month, so I wanted to honor a gay icon, so one thing led to another, and, well, I dug up Liberace's bones. What were you gonna do with them? I don't know. Honestly, when I was digging up Liberace's bones, I thought it would make sense later, but now that I have Liberace's bones, I realize the thrill for me was just in digging up Liberace's bones. I can't stand you saying it. Give me that bag of skeletal remains. Hey, careful! Those are Liberace's bones! Stop saying it! What have I done? Wow. Way to show respect for the dead. You know whose bones those were, right? I didn't mean it. Let's... Okay, okay. Let's just get his earthly remains back to his final resting place, and it'll all be fine. Liberace's bones? No, no, no. You crossed the line now. Hey, everybody! This guy just shattered Liberace's bones! Be quiet! Stop saying it! Liberace's what? His, uh, uh, physical evidence. I, I can't hear you! His, um, calcium concretion upon which all his nerves and muscles would... Dang. Dumb it down, doctor. His osseous matter. You dumped it in the wrong direction. Hang on, my phone is ringing. But feel free to continue answering the question. What did you shatter a bag of? Liberace's bones! Wow. Coming from you, that sounds really disrespectful. Hi, and welcome to the newest episode of Ally Meekly, the podcast that will have you saying, are you guys in a bird sanctuary? <laughs> My uh, beginning for this was live from Burbank, California. It's the Ally Meekly podcast. That's and good. You want to you intro with that? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's go. take let's it from the top. Take it. 
ha! <laughs> we haven't gone to check to see if our, our recording studio yeah. is left unlocked by the janitors. <laughs> so Also, trying to convince Greg to drive to Northridge is going to be a month-to-month fight from now on. Hey, you need to come to CSUN. No, I don't. I certainly do not. What other state university can we go to, Greg? <laughs> we go to anyone. LA. Uh, Pomona probably has one. I don't know. You want to go to Fullerton? Is that <laughs> we'll what you want to do? Right now, Greg. Long Beach? Heard of it? We'll go right now. But we're in the shadow yeah. of Disney Studios mm-hmm. right now. In uh, I, I think it's called Mountain View Park. Yeah, Mountain View Park. We're also in the shadow of... Some Gr- trees. <laughs> we're right next to Griffith Park. Yeah, uh, that's the mountain. That's haunted over there. Uh-huh. Famous actors and open mic comedians will run the trails. And uh, to the left of us, there's Burbank, and everyone owns a horse in this neighborhood. <laughs> so everybody is uh, giddy up. <laughs> and giddy up they did. <laughs> We're in the Giddy Up district of <laughs> Burbank right now. Just east of where magic happens and uh, just west of where the Proud Boys are. <laughs> and just west of where Glendale happens. Um, home of the Proud Boys. When I was a kid, we almost moved to Burbank. This really nice house in Burbank with a pool, a guest house, and stables. Yeah, you've told me about this. It must have been in this neighborhood because all these houses have staples. I think it was actually, it was in this neighborhood. I think it was a little bit closer to Victory and Sonora. By oh, those aren't Park. Staples. Oh, no, that's not this neighborhood. Those stables aren't for horses. <laughs> in that neighborhood. Those, those are for been. your captives. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah. imagine what your life could have been. I, I think about that all the time. My life would have been drastically different. I grew... Uh, Jurassically different? Is that what you said? I said drastically different. I said drastically different. I, I grew up in a part of the valley that does have horses, and I grew up riding horse, like taking lessons. Did you really? Because the James Cagney's old stables were right down the street from my house. So I grew up learning how to ride horses. They uh, made you talk like James Cagney when you rode a horse, too? Yeah. 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 Hey, Buster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't wisecrack me, son. So, you're going to kick me in the head, are you? <laughs> well, I'll pop you in the nose. <laughs> I'll pull on your big old dong, I will. That's more British than anything else. <laughs> I will, I will. I will, I will. <laughs> Why do I think you grew up on Barbara Stanwyck's ranch? I think Barbara Stanwyck's ranch was a little south of me. That, okay. Barbara Stanwyck's ranch is where I went to high school. <laughs> <laughs> right next to uh, Lucy and Desi's ranch. Yeah. Which is where I would hang out after school. <laughs> and then we'd all go down to the Marx Brothers property. Because <laughs> Chico was there. And Chico always needs someone to talk to. And Chico would buy us beer. <laughs> uh, any, uh, let, let's let, look. Let's get to. That's enough talking about the lives we wish we had growing up. Um, you actually riding horses, me almost having a stable. Yeah. The lives that we, the lives that we did and almost had. <laughs> uh, before we get started, we have a few new Patreon people. Oh, to fantastic! Welcome in let's this hear month. from them. Well, you won't be hearing from them. They'll be hearing from us. They'll be hearing from our lawyers. So we don't talk to them unless we do something bad, and then we will be hearing from them. It's that like Roger Corman rule: if we do everything right, we won't have to hear from them. Yeah, we won't. we act first. To apologize to their <laughs> lawyers later. So the first one we have is Jen Cooper with a K. Hi, Jen Cooper with a K. Pretty cool. I mean, Are I you know related that- Al Cooper from the Butterfield something band. I don't remember. Butterfield something. I don't know what. Al Cooper, he was in a band. Oh, Alice Cooper? Not, oh, are she related to Alice Cooper? No, Alice Cooper is with a C. And then we've got Shannon Brogan. Hi, Shannon. I know Shannon. She's great. Oh, yeah, you do know Shannon. I do know Shannon. Yeah, that, that was, she's fantastic. I was so proud of like, Greg, we've got a brand new Patreon <laughs> person. And as usual, oh, that person's, and then I feel in my head, related to me, <laughs> works with me, <laughs> is indebted to me. Maybe a cousin. I, can, I can't keep track. <laughs> and then the last person we have is Lucas Simons. Hi, Lucas Sim- Simons? Simons, with an S. 
Two S's. Not three S's in the... You got two first names, pal. Well, Simons, it's not like the Simons. It's Simons isn't a first name. Simon is. Two Simons Simon would be Simons. Simon apostrophe S, a first name, <laughs> but Simons, no apostrophe. That's not a, that's not a first two name. Two people named Simon in the park. Simons. <laughs> What's that? Uh, uh, not call me by your Simon. What is it? Like, my name is Simon something... Simon Says? Yeah, si- Simon. <laughs> is that what you're trying to yeah, say? I'm trying to think of children's games. <laughs> Simon's Says. Okay, so those are our new Patreon people. If Hi, you, new Patreon people. Hello, I welcome. look forward to sending you postcards. If you too want to be a Patreon person and want your name read and discussed what the etymological meaning of your last <laughs> name is on the show, uh, you can sign up patreon.com slash Meekly for as little as $5 a month. We'll send you a handwritten postcard every month. And less than that, we still love you and we'll say your name. More than that, we love you more. It, it's certainly a hierarchy of love. Yeah, yeah. A hierarchy of love was my doo-wop song in the 50s. <laughs> that was my big hit. From your doo-wop and the shrugs, little Danny D and the shrugs. <laughs> Before we get into this month, what did you do in the past month in this city of ours? Los Angeles. Los Angeles, That by, by the way, not San Diego. <laughs> I went this past weekend with one of our Patreon people, one of our postcards pals, Oscar and Jonathan Figueroa, and uh, my beautiful girlfriend Ada. We all went to Kohl's, and we went oh, right. indoors for the first time in, what, 14 months? Huh. How was that? Huh. It was an experience for sure. Did you feel comfortable at all? Yeah, yeah. Because they because uh, you're anti-vax, you're vehemently anti-vax. Right? I just don't believe in it. It's like <laughs> you're anti-vax but strictly masked. Okay, COVID was made up, but the vaccine is real, and that's terrifying. Who th- who thinks like that? Anyways, I'm not scared of a thing that killed half a million. <laughs> killed like yeah, uh, half a million. No, if how many? Only worldwide, it killed like three and a half million. Three and a half million. But... Thank you. Yeah, and then like the vaccine, uh, which is pretty effective. People are like, no, that's the real problem. <laughs> Shut up. Anyways. But you liked it? It was... Yeah, it was... I mean, it was nice just to be back inside as one of my favorite bars. And, you know, the bouncer told us that we have to order from the counter. There's a, you can't sit at the counter and drink. All the tables are spaced out pretty nice. There's no wait staff. So, you, yeah, like I said, you have to order for yourself. But then they still came up to the table and brought you stuff. But, like, the interactions are really fast. And they kept checking in on you. Uh, but then, how are you doing? How are you doing? From, Do you like, 50 feet away. Yeah. How are you doing? It was nice to be back. It still doesn't feel real, though. Yeah, I, I'm not ready to do that yet. Yeah. I'm willing to wait a little bit longer. Because like you were saying also, it's so expensive. Like it feels so expensive yeah. to go out to a place now. Like getting takeout is one thing, yeah. but like sitting there and you got to leave like a really big tip. You hate tips, by the way. Um, <laughs> you always, I hate, I'm not against giving money against these people getting paid what they deserve to be paid. Yeah. I just hate the whole system. Like bake it into the price. Pay the workers more and bake it into the price. That is Literally, bake, it in, bake my tip into <laughs> my food and I will eat it. I'd be glad to do that. This pot pie is full of quarters. <laughs> it's just that psychologically I hate like, oh, okay, this is going to be $20, but in reality it's going to be $30. Don't leave a $10 tip on a $20 bill. Uh, I don't have to tell you that, certainly. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to make myself look better, Greg. <laughs> Let me turn off my microphone for a second. <laughs> Greg, a $21 meal? <laughs> a $20.50 meal? Greg. But, um, yeah, it does feel uh, like, yeah. aside from just like feeling comfortable, it's like oh my god I, yeah i remember like go, like every weekend it would be like well here's another 60 dollars uh, because yeah. i went out to eat twice this weekend <laughs> i was surprised at how much i spent by the end of it because i went to a like like a cycle swap meet in long beach and they had i was like i should get a oh, i've been wanting to start surfing and I, they had a surfboard there and i know that's where you can get them is the swap meets and yard sales and stuff you get them pretty cheap and i'm like nah i get them when they wash up against the pier with, with a, a shark bite in them yeah, with a foot attached to them yeah i didn't buy the surfboard because ah, it's a little too much and i that night I spent just as much yeah. at Coles eating a surfboard e- eating a, a full surfboard, surfboard a surfboard dip um, what do you do I have 
absolutely nothing. That's but fine. The, the best thing I have is that it's sad and also sweet that I went inside my parents' house without a mask on. Look at that. Yeah. That's pretty nice. That's, that's all I've done. <laughs> hey, that's something, though. That And even that, I'm like, uh, I'll be in the kitchen <laughs> and you'll be in the living room and we'll yeah. keep all the doors open. You all jump in the pool and I'm going to stay inside. <laughs> that's good, though. That's really good. That's It's starting to go back. Yeah, it is. Some things I think shouldn't quite go back yet. Yeah. Like, like tipping. Um. Uh, <laughs> I don't think this, the world's ready again for tipping, but <laughs> we're both going back to work pretty regularly, and I, 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 I can speak for myself certainly uh, that I want to throw up. That the idea of an eight-hour workday away from home makes yeah. me want to like I I'm not throwing up, but I'm dry heaving. Yeah, pretty it's, often. it's like I retired, and yeah. then they're like, "Well, you're due back at work on Monday after yeah. a year of your retirement. Uh, you're on your yacht, baking in the sun, and a little like rowboat comes up to you. You <laughs> gotta go to work tomorrow. Are you free? When are you? What, what days are you free? Even worse than just being there, <laughs> if such a thing is possible, is that now on June 15th? Oh yeah. Uh uh, uh oh. <laughs> All rules out the window, and anything. <laughs> goes and you know that awful public you work with who doesn't want to put up with any of the rules yeah. that they say the cdc doesn't know what they're talking about and now that the cdc is saying they can go inside places they're using the cdc against us yeah so that's uh that's been my month let's just cool let's, let's just not i bet other countries are better i bet they are yeah. they don't sound like, like it but uh, they, japan they or india or uh, i don't know canada <laughs> they're probably doing fine yeah <laughs> they're probably doing fine i Greg, haven't checked on them in a long time but they're probably doing fine i haven't checked on them in about a week when it was going horribly. <laughs> Greg, they can't even drink out of the Stanley Cup. <laughs> That's a national pastime. That was the first declaration of the state of emergency. None sh- <laughs> nobody drink out of the Stanley Cup. Okay, and mothers so- were like, oh, what? what does that mean? What does that mean for my kids? Wayne Gretzky shed one tear <laughs> and then he hit it with a stick and it went into a goal and he said, 99% of the tears you don't shed are uh, but yada yada. Anyway, so let's get to uh, this month. Yes, please. This is, uh, it's June. Ooh. It is Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, Greg. We did it. I survived one more year of without pride, and now I'm back to Pride Month. <laughs> the one month out of year that's pride, the, the other 11 are shame. We haven't done a dedicated LGBTQ No, pride. they came up in, I think, two separate stories we told. We did the thing about the black cat. Yeah, we did. We covered the black cat, and we covered the pride parade before right. in a parade episode. Probably marches and parades is when we brought them up. I think that's the one episode. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't well, the two, two episodes, episodes, yeah. A parade is a fun march, I guess. Yeah. A, a parade is a march with silly string. <laughs> A march is that everyone's mad about one thing, and a parade is everyone's happy, happy about, about one about thing. One. <laughs> like Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, Santa is hanging out with Eric Estrada. There was a lot to choose from, so this is yep. another thing that probably should be like a yearly thing that yep. we do. I was really scared of like doing eight stories and be like, well, those are those stories. <laughs> and those are the eight gay pride stories <laughs> of Los Angeles. Good night, everybody. See you later. Let, let's uh, start it off here okay. with you. I'm going to be talking about the Mattachine Society and its founder, Harry Hay. It's oh, yeah. a good name. Good I, know. I like good alliterative names. Is, is it with an exclamation point? Harry, hey! <laughs> his name is the interaction you have with him when you say his name. Yeah, yeah his name should be there's Harry, hey. Um, <laughs> so we're going to be talking about the Manachine Society, which many consider to be one of the first, if not the first gay activist group, and its founder, Harry Hay, who many consider to be the father of gay liberation in America, and a landmark case that helped pave the way for gay civil rights. Born Henry Hay 
Jr. in Sussex, England in April of 1912. His dad was Henry Hello. <laughs> His mom was Anita Aloha. His sister, Sally Sia. <laughs> Sally Salutations. <laughs> Sally was short for Salutations. As a young child, uh-huh. the Hay family moved to California. I couldn't figure out where particularly, but he ends up in Los Angeles eventually. He attended Stanford for a bit, but by early 1932, had a dropout due to quote-unquote health reasons. I never figured out what that was. And then he started pursuing act- theater acting. While acting, he met another actor, Will Gear, and the two started a relationship. Will Gear, if you're curious, played the grandfather on The Waltons, a show I'd never watched. I've never watched it either. But I was positive there wasn't a grandfather on that show. I know The Waltons is something to say of a certain era when you're trying to be like, um, I guess it eventually became like, well, we're not the Cosbys. I think of another era. Well, we're not the Waltons. Okay, what do you want? So it was the well-off family who got along at the end I think of the actually day. they're a farm family, but they love each other. And that's it's a enough. successful farm, though. <laughs> a really successful farm. A doctor farm. Yeah, we're out here growing medicine. They have a lawyer creamery. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why they call it Big Pharma. They're growing just like Advil and Vicodin. There's a bunch of gopher hoes, but it's men trying to get Viagra. Get out of here, scanner! Yeah, they're popping out of the ground. <laughs> they wish. <laughs> they're popping out of the ground four hours at a time. Gear got Hay to join the Communist Party after Uh-oh. Harry discovered Marxism, and then together they formed an... Uh, what What year was this? This was mid-30s, I oh my suppose. God. So he's openly gay? No. Okay. Is he gay? I, I didn't even Harry think Harry is gay. Okay. Harry Hay is gay. He's okay. the... It rhymes. He has to be. Yeah. <laughs> according to schoolyards, it has to be. Yeah, according to his bullies. Okay. So that, that's pretty crazy to one in the 30s be openly gay and also... Not openly gay. Okay. But then to be openly a communist. <laughs> Unless he's not openly oh, a communist. Also not... Well, right. okay. He's living the normal life of a, a gay communist. I think he 30s. was more scared of people finding out that he was yeah. gay than he was a communist. <laughs> in the 30s anyways. I don't really know. I know it's not the 50s yet. And the 50s is well, where yeah. you really can't When be he would commie. get pulled in by the police, they would have to feel each other out to see what each other <laughs> so knew. So what were you doing at that bookstore? What did you see me doing at the bookstore? Which bookstore? <laughs> That's yeah. pretty scary. I would to be keeping both of those things a secret. At it's a time. Russian doll inside of a turduncan. Yeah. It's not a turduncan. It's what not a donut. A turduckin. It's not a oh, turkey. Oh, no, you dunk it. It's not, it's not a duck inside of a turkey inside of a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be? Because it's a duck. Who eats ducks? Why would I eat a duck? I eat donuts. Daniel, wake up. So together, so they're both communists after Harry Hay found Marxism, and together they performed, uh, is it Agaprop? Agitprop? Prop comedy? Agitprop comedy? Agitprop comedy. Agitprop street theater protesting everything from Jim Crow laws, anti-Semitism, while also using their performances to shine a light on workers' rights to unionize. So they were very... These guys are... They're ahead of their time. They are not well-liked in in their time. Kind of heavy-handed, but also they're they're doing a lot of really punk stuff in the 30s. What drew Harry Hay to Marxism was the assumption that it would allow homosexuality under its principles. Hmm. The Communist Party, CPA USA, actually forbade a gay and lesbian activity, so kind of never mind, but he still joined. But now, like, we were talking about two secrets. But Harry still appreciated the progressive ideals of Marxism. That in itself was not popular back in the day, so you can listen back to our Hollywood Blacklist episode, Red is a New Black, to hear all the anti-communist the stories new, in L.A. Red is the New Black List, Greg. Oh, that's what it was, if wasn't it? If you're going to be quoting puns that we've made in the past... Show a little respect. <laughs> uh, now that I look at it, uh, it's not as funny as I thought it was before. <laughs> so there was a lot of anti-communist sentiments, and but it was those sentiments that taught Harry how to guard the anonymity of his fellow commies that would be a transferable skill mm-hmm. when it came to guarding his own progressive groups later. In 1938, he married a fellow CPUSC member, Anita Platke. So he definitely was not openly gay. <laughs> no. And the two would go on to have two daughters together. He married her to ward off any suspicion in the party about his sexuality, and because a marriage counselor assured him that marriage could eclipse his 
homosexual urges. And for 10 years, Harry Hay lived a double life. He was married, living with kids in a nice house in Silver Lake. He was a production manager for a manufacturer. He had been an actor and a ghostwriter here and there. He had the support of his leftist progressive groups, worked on civic campaigns, attended meetings, raised funds, held meetings in his own home. But on the side of all of this was having affairs with men. Will Gear being one of them, an unnamed architect being the other. But also the Kinsey uh, Report. I won't say his name, but it was Frank Gary. <laughs> he likes guys whose last names sound like Gear. Uh, I'm not going to give his whole name away, but it's Frank Lloyd. And you have to figure <laughs> yeah. out, you have to think about the rest. <laughs> Which one? So he's married for 10 years, living a double life. So what changes in 1948, 10 years after all of this stuff? Well, 10 years of suppressing urges and identity is a hard time. But also the Kinsey Report came hmm. out, or is this more professionally known, the sexual behavior in the human male by Alfred Kinsey. The research in the report looked into human sexuality. And although society looks at that report more critically now, the Kinsey Report transformed American society by challenging American perceptions and attitudes towards sex. So right. that was a big deal in the late. Yeah. 40s. Thank you, Liam Neeson. Thank you, Liam Neeson, for being Kinsey. so progressive to make that movie. For portraying Kinsey so well, so, so many perfectly. years later. A movie I never watched. Thank you, Liam Neeson. For Harry Hay, one detail of the report stood out, and it would push the rest of his life in a different direction. The report stated that as many as 10% of American men were homosexual. <laughs> like the big reveal. <laughs> Let me check my notes. We're what? <laughs> what? Let me read that again. I like the dramatic page turn. It stays in the show. <laughs> I know I added a lot of things out. That will not go. If you say Mark David Chapmango, it'll go. Here we go with the Mark <laughs> Chapmango again. It didn't work. Maybe the greatest thing I've ever said. <laughs> On the fly, audiences, like, what's he going to say? What? Is, yeah. I bet he's in a fumble again. No, I did not that day, sir. <laughs> Harry Hay thought, well, if 10% of American men are gay, and if that's true, there would be enough gay men in the country to form a mass movement defending homosexuality against discrimination. A very good thought to have. <laughs> he drafted a manifesto titled The Homosexuals in America, but his ideas weren't published until 1951. Of course, it was a manifesto. Mr. Communist, everything's a manifesto. Emphasis on manifesto. Um... <laughs> So he penned this manifesto, wasn't published for like another three years, I think. And he also used a pseudonym to pin it, Donald Webster Corey. Uh, and why? Just, I, I mean, I understand why a pseudonym, but why that why name? That name? I, I feel like that's always my question. Well, but I didn't want any, No, I don't care. Well, I would use a pseudonym too. Why'd you pick that one? He was a big fan of Chevy Chase. So, <laughs> so after he wrote this manifesto, he proposed Bachelor's Anonymous but it never got off the ground. Quotations okay. for that. Bachelor's yeah, I, in my story also, like this person tries to come up with like a lot of names to try to get going and none of them yeah. really work. It really does. It really does hang on a good name. Yeah. You have to make me feel like I'm part of a cool yeah. club. The Black Hand Society. Ooh, what's that? Oh, they kill Italian people. Never mind. <laughs> the Omerta. <laughs> no, not the, the Omerta. The Omerta is what they don't say. The Cosa Nostra. <laughs> Which is my favorite place to visit. The I, beautiful Cosa Nostra of Italy. I think I'm on a vacation at Cosa Nostra. I own a timeshare in Cosa Nostra. I don't go this time of year. A lot of bodies wash up. But the manifesto was radical for its day, referring uh -huh. to homosexuals as a culturally oppressed minority, which is a term only ever used for race groups. So he was being really radical by saying, oh, us too with that. Uh -huh. And they and would argue with that. Well, I can think of 90% of the country who probably I can think would. of a lot of straight people who would be like, no. And he was forming gay activism for civil rights before those words were a commonplace like right. before gay this civil was the rights. 40s or like 50, early, early 50s? 50s late 40s okay. in 1950 Harry fell in love with a young dancer and fashion designer Rudy Gernreich Gernreich encouraged Harry to move forward with his idea of the movement and the society and the two would be the founding members their early attempts at gaining members and starting discussions failed but things picked up when Bob Hull a man who was in Harry's music class brought his roommate best friend and sometimes partner Chuck Rowland over but when Bob read Harry's essay in perspective he felt they had 
finally found someone who had concretely put into words what other gay men had only felt but wouldn't dare say out loud. He didn't say out loud. He wrote it down, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right out loud. I, he wrote it, and I read it out loud. So that's kind of the same thing. Along with Chuck Rowland and Bob Hole, the men would create what many see as the first sustained gay activist groups in America, the Mattachine Society, named after the medieval French term used to describe male dancers who satirize social conventions. That's a good name. Male dancers that satirize like a jester almost? Almost like a, but a, like a jester. dancing jester? A dancing hot jester. Probably with abs. <laughs> Greg. <laughs> but if he doesn't have, have abs, that's fine too. You look like whatever you want to look like. I just assume no, because you're a dancer, you would have abs. He has to have abs. He's a dancer. Does he wear the hat? That's what I want to know. You doing a paraquat with bells? Is it a paraquat? I don't know what a paraquat is. What is it that they spin on their heel, on their tiptoes, uh, belly dancers? You're, you're delving into territory that I only know from Black Swan. <sighs> the foremen were also all, if not in the Communist Party, then all groups aligned with the party. Because if you remember back then, communism wasn't really about communism. It was about progressive ideas. Mm-hmm. So you could be in a progressive, radical group. And then people like, you're in, you're a communist. Mm-hmm. And you're like, not really. And then they lay out all the stuff that the group's about. You're like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. I'm in the Communist Party. Oh, no. How did I do this? I did kill Leon Trotsky. Oh, no. <laughs> My name is Ethel Rosenberg. Crap. <laughs> Early meetings with the foremen were special just being what they were. They were four gay men discussing civil rights and, and social matters. Because as one paper describes it, if you were homosexual in that era, you only met other gay men in secret for sex. There wasn't a lot of chances for a big group of gay men to get together and just talk about being gay and civil rights. That's, and that's another thing that we could cover in an ep- another episode. There was like a whole stretch of downtown. I forget what it was called, but it was like, if you were gay, you knew like, I could meet people here. And then yeah. like, there's this area over here where it's pretty dark. No one yeah. comes by. And there's like a whole, almost like a map yeah. that they would circulate amongst each other of like, these are safe spots you have in this one stretch of town. Any group that has to have safe spots. <laughs> <laughs> I say that, but also that's what terrorists do. I'm um, not to call gay people a terrorist, but also. Oh my God. <laughs> I was trying to be like any group that has secret maps on how to be safe. It's probably a, like a, a group that needs civil rights. And I thought, also, <laughs> or a terrorist. Or a terrorist. It must have been nice to just sit around and chat comfortably without having to hide anything. Because even in a room full of communists hiding from G-Men, you still couldn't let them know you were gay. Right. G-Men does not stand for gay man. <laughs> I'm a little confused right I bet now. there's a little confusion coming from certain people. The G-Men are here. Oh, great. Let them... Oh, I'm arrested. Okay. For what? Okay. What does your G stand for? <laughs> but their level of comfort started to seep into Harry's family life. On Christmas Eve of 1950, Harry and Anita threw a party. His wife, Anita, threw a party. In attendance were several married couples and some of Harry's bachelor friends, as they were referred. It was that night that Anita started to get the feeling that Harry's true affections lied with someone else somewhere. Mm. And towards the end of the evening, someone remembers that Bob Hole made his way to the family's piano and started to play Christmas carols. And that was the first red flag. Yeah. <laughs> Harry joined him, and as the songs were ending, Harry noticed that his wife and the married couples were on one side of the room listening, and Harry and his bachelor friends were on the other side singing. And he's like, oh, there's a clear divide in the room. Yeah, but he's just having fun with his friends. Who doesn't... Yeah. Wait, I have to stand next to Melissa at every single party at all times? Yeah, I do, because I'm afraid of everybody else. <laughs> She's my buoy. She's my baba buoy. She's my baba buoy. The men would get together and discuss things like terminology. They wanted to do away with that sort of catty negative language that persisted at gay bars. Mm. They wanted to try to create language for the mainstream, you know? Like, yeah. I, I don't know what kind of terminology was socially acceptable, but I feel like even then it might not have been respectful. Um, oh, sure. You think there was a single respectable term the general public had in the 50s? 
50s for gay people? I mean, no. maybe gay people was as nice as it got. It might have been, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing mean about saying gay people. No, but awful people have used it in such negative ways yeah. that sometimes when you say it, you're like, oh, yeah, did I just say it, it? It's like saying like, oh yeah, that guy's Mexican. He's, yeah, exactly. he's from Mexico. Yeah, he's from Mexico. He's on vacation from here. If I ever have to describe someone who's from Mexico and describe them as they are Mexican, I feel awful. Yeah, and I'm Mexican-American <laughs> and even me saying it is like, don't put the emphasis on the X. Put the emphasis on the M and it sounds way different than Mexican. Put the emphasis on the dash between Mexican and American. Mexican with a hard M, not a hard X. The X is what sounds racist. Mexican with a hard pride. <laughs> I put the emphasis on the culture. Harry even felt uncomfortable with the term homosexual because, like we are just saying, all the negative connotations yeah. that heterosexuals put on that word. So they suggested a new word, homophile, which sounds worse. Oh, but Because yeah, my next one also is like trying to come up with terms. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's one of the things that was kind of around at the time. Yeah, homophile, which yeah. sounds worse, but philia derives from the Latin meaning friendship and phylos comes from the Greek word meaning love. Nice sentiments, but come 2020, you got to know, we try the suffix file for one other thing and it's not good. <laughs> so maybe lose it. How about we just use the term homosexual in a more positive life in the future how about we just do that instead of using homophile how about we just start saying homosexual with respect and maybe it'll change the group would add a fifth founding member Dale Jennings. He was a little more opinionated and as the paper put it, aggressively virile. Um, but aggressively they accept- virile? That's what the paper, what the LA Times said. But they accepted him. We're back on the Viagra farm. The five would move forward with trying to get more people in the Manichaean society and that was risky. Homosexual men were not well liked in everyday society in 1950. Sodomy and homosexual acts were a crime and if you were arrested enough times, I believe they sent you away for electric shock therapy and possibly castration. So like coming out and being like, let's get gay men together, that was a big risk. Yeah. But for these guys, the thought of being shamed into a life of secrecy was a worse fate. Still though, recruiting new members would be difficult and they'd have to go through a whole process before being admitted. The possibility of a police raid and legal persecution there's a horse on a helicopter now. He hasn't perfected it yet, but he's getting pretty good. He hasn't crashed yet. <laughs> a lasso's gonna come down. From a loudspeaker, yeehaw! <laughs> yeehaw! You two down there, yeehaw! This is the sheriff. Yeehaw! <laughs> the possibility of a police raid and legal persecution required the meetings to be held in secret, obviously. When they invited a guest over, they had the guest meet a trusted Mattachine member in public. Then they had to be driven around for a few blocks to make sure that they didn't have a tail. And then they'd be taken to the secret meeting place. Blinds were always drawn. When and you because said didn't have a tail, I don't know why, but I thought like literally a tail oh, on oh, them. Oh. I was like, why would that matter? You uh, can't <laughs> keep up with 50 slang or possibly 30 <laughs> slang or 40 slang. I don't know when it's derived. <laughs> Or, or 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. But today, uh, that's a bop. That's sus. Eh? Did I use it right? Yeah, they wanted to make sure they were not sus. <laughs> Can you dig it? <laughs> There's something not jiving about that police car following me. Blinds were always drawn, and because they had read somewhere that telephones could be tapped to bug a room for surveillance, they put the phone in a drawer with a pillow over it. <laughs> Just get rid of the phone. <laughs> I read that, I'm like, ew, landlines? Um, <laughs> Couldn't they shut down their rotary? There's nothing more suspicious than like old crime movies, like a, a phone that's not plugged in. What is ha- Oh my god, you're going to kill me. Now it's just, oh, I don't want anyone ever calling <laughs> me ever. And I'm totally normal, by the way. Their first round of potential members came when Harry and Rudy, they previously, around the time of the Korean War, when they first met, they were gathering signatures for a petition against the Korean War, and they found a secluded part of the beach between Mary and Davies' estate and Malibu. That was a, a time before surfing became a trend, occupied mostly by gay men. It was like one of those spots. So they got a lot of signatures from what they assumed were gay men at the beach. So this petition they still had, so they called a lot of those guys and other allies that signed the petition. And membership grew. The discussions were beginning to get more semi-public, as the paper cautiously puts it. <laughs> the group would later be described as having a pyramid structure with discussion groups at the bottom and a small circle of founders at the top. Uh, there's a joke in there about 
tops and bottoms, but I won't go for it. Uh, Harry was using his knowledge of old... Come now, Greg. That's not what we're about. (laughs) I wrote that joke for one person listening, and I hope he enjoyed it. That person, one of the most offensive people I've ever met. Anyways, Harry was using his knowledge of old Communist Party cells into a model for this new group, but the hierarchy nature was really rubbing a lot of people, like Dale Jennings, the wrong way. Me too, if you want to know. Like, fraternal orders are great, but who wants to join a civil rights group pushing for social freedom and have to, like, be an eagle scout for that? Like, that's dumb, like... We'll get more on that later yeah, on the next You can have, have civil rights if you bring in five more members. Exactly. Yeah. You have to pay your dues <laughs> uh, before you get to be high in the group for civil rights. Anyways. Around this time, Harry got a divorce from his wife, Anita, and dedicated his whole existence to serving the gay community through this group. Once he was divorced, he then had to also divorce the Communist Party since they outlawed homosexuality, which is enough reasons for me to no longer want to be a communist. <laughs> but he still calls himself a Marxist anyways, which that's fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't need the Communist Party backing. You could just be a Marxist. Hang on. Let me just... Uh, yeah. Senator McCarthy um, <laughs> Greg Gonzalez you, you know that new communist you're looking for <laughs> well, I like the idea of, of naming names just simply naming names <laughs> just calling a number being like Phil Spectre the first name that came to mind for some reason I almost said Philip Marlowe like don't say Philip Marlowe Phil Spectre crap. the only other famous Phil a member <laughs> named Howard Sen was the one who would suggest that they put all of the ideals of the Mattachine Society into writing and in March of 1951 the Mattachine's missions and purposes stated the group's threefold purposes to unify homosexuals isolated from their own kind and unable to adjust to the dominant culture to educate and improve the woefully meager and inclusive information about homosexuality and to lead the whole mass of quote social deviates to achieve the missions of unification and education the group sought political action on a legislative basis and they insisted on the emergence of a highly ethical homosexual culture these men wanted to show the world they were not the perverts that American society made them think that they were or were showing other Americans that they were. They were humans looking for the same rights as everybody else. Their big moment to show the world what they were willing to fight for comes in 1951. Dale Jennings gives Harry a call at 2 in the morning saying he had been arrested and needed $50 bail. Which, keep in mind, this is Andy Griffith time. You know, Andy would tell someone, you know, you have a $10 ticket and they would flip out. Anyways, Harry bails him out and they go and they have breakfast at the Brown Derby very early in the morning and uh, Dale Cobb tells... salad. They are shared a Cobb salad. A breakfast Cobb. Dale started telling Harry about the breakfast and that he was upset about a breakup and he went and met someone at the bathroom at MacArthur Park, then called Westlake Park. But then the man in the bathroom was very sexually aggressive and Dale just wasn't into it. But the man insisted on following him home and almost pushed his way through the door. So the guy at the door asked Dale for coffee and Dale went to go get him coffee. I, put, I wrote, why would you do that? The man started... <laughs> hot coffee to throw in his <laughs> face. <laughs> like the Simpsons guy. I gotta boil some water to throw at you so give me a minute. <laughs> the man started moving the blinds to signal someone and Uh-oh. before you knew it, Dale was arrested. Mm-hmm. Straight up entrapment. Here's a side story for you, Jasper. Just I don't know if you know this or if listeners know I write this on a lot of postcards I sent from MacArthur Park. Across the street from Westlake Park, MacArthur Park is the Westlake Theater where Jim Jones of Jonestown was yeah. arrested for soliciting sex right. with a person who turned out to be a police officer. He went on later to lead 900 people to a suicide in Guyana. Anyway. Side note to this whole story. Side note to this whole thing that I, th- I thought about. <laughs> Completely related. Side. Whenever they call MacArthur Park Westlake Park, I'm like, oh, that's where Jim Jones got arrested. <laughs> so that's anyway. why they had to change the name. To a Donna Summer song. They, they named it after a Donna <laughs> Summer song that came out years later. <laughs> Anywho, the undercover cop pushed Dale Jennings to commit a crime, and even when Dale refused and no crime was committed, he was still arrested and fined. Yeah. These arrests put an emotional and financial strain on gay men, and often cops would lie about the circumstances on the stand. Some no. men said that they were arrested no. for... No. Greg. I, I have a whole thing later so i'm not gonna even dig into that yet (laughs) some men said that they were arrested for sharing a glance and a lot of lawyers would not go near a case like this because it was the cop's word versus the word of a gay man and if you think it's hard now to get a cop to 
face consequences in 1950s Los Angeles, every cop was Jesus Christ walking on earth. <laughs> Good luck, Mr. Lloyd, trying to convince a jury that Jesus Christ is lying. Oh, and by the way. Hey, they did it once. Men convicted of homosexual acts would have to pay fines, and you'd have to pay any fine so long as it meant not serving time in prison, because in prison, they would be singled out by other inmates. Yeah. And, and by prison guards. And by prison guards. <laughs> like, like you were literally locked up with people who were going to brutalize you mm-hmm. in every way. But listening to Dale Jennings in the morning at Brown Derby in 1951, Harry Hayes saw it all in a flash and knew that this case would be the one where they would challenge the establishment and show everyone that being gay is not a crime. People close to the founding members had formed the Mattachine Foundation because as heterosexual loved ones, they would be the ones who would provide secure and legal aid for fundraising and publicity. Like, they got their family members to set up this foundation for legal representation because as a gay person, you couldn't do that, I guess, on your own. They secured the legal aid of George... Shilby, an Arab-American from Long Beach, who we may have mentioned in previous episodes, he was a brilliant trial lawyer and political firebrand. He defended some of the young men in Sleepy Lagoon trial and was defending... You might have brought him up for this. He defended Sirhan Sirhan despite being a Kennedy supporter. The Mattachine Foundation then created the Citizens Committee to Outlaw Entrapment to raise funds for the defense and command public awareness through a series of flyers addressed to the citizens of Los Angeles that were taken to gay beach areas, bus stops, selected men rooms, which feels like a punchline, but it's really not. They printed pamphlets that posed the question, are you left-handed? Comparing being homosexual to any other inborn trait. Someone needs to tell Harry Hay that left-handed people were also thought to be witches at some point, so maybe back up a little bit, but that's fine. Don't affiliate with another group that crazy people that look down on. Yeah. But like I like that idea of like there's like nothing hideous about me. Like some people are just left-handed doesn't make them it's a, that's it's not no a wrong more right hideous thing. than being left-handed. Get him. But their charge to gain awareness was working and it was radical at the time. With one case to focus on, the group held more frequent meetings, worked on major campaigns to get attention and get their point across and sought more avenues to secure finances. Then that really like it, that seems to be the real drive is like we all have one case to center on as mm-hmm. opposed to like we have a group we want civil like we want civil rights for our group but you don't it's kind of like a machine gun blast where uh-huh. it just goes everywhere yeah. but if you have like one sniper shot and one thing you probably hit the target yeah i go to <laughs> dick sporting I, goods I, I played call of duty i get it i get war they had raffles to see jack die dance what? his name is jack die <laughs> okay. d-y-e he was a dancer jack we went to see jack die dancer die god Burbank. They put all of their budget this into This is what living in Burbank like. It sucks. There's horses and planes everywhere. It's a police state. Everybody in Burbank is a cop. Like, we're, we joke? Are they? You're either a cop or you work for Disney. The cop of the industry is working for Disney. <laughs> the Hollywood cop. Yeah, the Hollywood cop. The namer of names. There's a dancer named Jack Dye. They had raffles to see him dance at his uh, secluded Canyon estate on the coast. Lester Horton, the city's premier dancer and choreographer, offered an evening's take on his newest show. Harry Hay says that Lester Horton should be credited with holding the first fundraiser for gay civil rights hmm. like a big show that he held and all that money went to this case basically yeah. he's saying that this man should be credited with that Lester Horton good Lester job Horton. Lester Horton Lester Horton isn't that an animator or something no Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you might be thinking of uh, Horton Hatches the Egg. I think I might be. One of the best Dr. Seuss books. Very few racial stereotypes in that one. <laughs> He's not Charles Adams. Come on. Dale Jennings' trial begins on June 23rd, 1952, and Shelby made a powerful opening statement when she pointed out that homosexuality and lavishness are not identical after stating that his client was admittedly homosexual, that no fine line separates the variations of sexual inclinations, and the only one true pervert in the courtroom was the arresting officer. <laughs> I think it's 
it's lasciviousness. Is it lasciviousness? Yeah, not laviciousness. That's my French drag name. I put an H in this word when I was spelling it, just to, just so you know. He asked the jury to feel no prejudice merely because Jennings had been arrested. At the center of the case was a plea for humanity. Look at us, like look at us as human beings. Like mm-hmm. we're, like I was arrested because I'm gay, but I did nothing wrong. There's no crime here, and being gay is not a crime. The jury deliberated for. Another dramatic pause. For 40 hours. And they even asked one of the members to be dismissed when he stated that he would hold out for guilty till hell froze over. The rest voted straight acquittal and the judge dismissed the charges. Wait a minute. Charges. Straight acquittal? Like acquittal. Like like no... So not like... It should be a gay acquittal. Imagine that was on the... We were like a straight acquittal. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, actually, Your Honor, uh, we thought we'd have a little fun this time. <laughs> I know that there's accepted terminology, but wait a minute. Why is this park suddenly filled with a bunch of teenagers? Oh, is God. this where like the high school comes to have lunch in a park off campus? Or what goes on in Burbank? I don't know, but it seems really nice. In Parks and Recs, they're talk- they do have an Eagleton episode where they talk about like, this is the entrance to Eagleton, and it looks like Burbank right now. And then like, this is the entrance to Pawnee, and it's literally the other side of the freeway entrance of my high school. It's like 20 <laughs> feet from my high school. And like, we would walk past that point to get to the Jack in the Box where the bushes are filled with rats. Just being in this park right now, you asking that question. I'm like, is this where they came to have lunch? I'm like, I went to a Jack in the Box filled with rats on my break because I grew up in Pawnee. This is what you could have had if your mom and dad if bought they, that ho- they horse bought house. The house of the ranch. <laughs> when I read about what the jury had done, I had to make sure the dates were right. Like 1952, not like 1992 or like or 2002, like 2022, like, maybe 2022. I don't understand. Like you were a jury in the straightest time yeah. in America, and someone was like, "I'm gonna, I want to make sure this guy's guilty," and people stood up for yeah. them like crazy in a way that I'm so proud of the. This jury, good for them for not being assholes about yeah, it. Except for one of them. <laughs> except for the one guy who they had to dismiss. That was the first time in California history that an admitted homosexual was freed on a vagrancy lewdness charge, uh, which they called, what did they call it? It was like Vag Lou, like a Vag Lou case. I'm like, what is this? And it was vagrancy Lou. Oh. and lo- uh, lewdness charge. It was put so gross. I thought that was the Lucy and Desi's production company. Other cases were successfully fought around the same time, but Jenny's case was special because it was an effort by a group fighting for civil rights when it was done. Hooray, right? Big deal. Wait, I, okay. I sounded sarcastic, but I, yeah. okay. <laughs> Hooray. That is really authentically a big deal. Let me deal. recalibrate my uh, emotionometer. Oh, I did mean it that way. Hooray, right? Big deal. It was still 1952, sadly, and when the Manichean Society went and informed every newspaper and radio station, no one bothered to broadcast this news yeah. or celebrate it in any way. The fight for gay rights had just started, yeah. but it also yeah. had just started. It, yeah, it's when, like, reading these things that happened in, like, the 50s and the 70s or yeah. whatever, you're like, boy, you have so much more to go. I know, it's <laughs> really sad yeah. like i'm proud of them like they they did it they like they stood the ground yeah. they fought in court they yeah. got they got what they needed they're beginning to get their civil rights but they're beginning to get their civil rights. Yeah, and they're still pretty much <laughs> beginning <laughs> to get civil rights. The Manichean Society laid some of the most essential groundwork for the gay rights movement that would be decades in the making. By 1953, the group would have thousands of members through the whole U.S., and they would begin publishing one magazine, which was their first widely distributed journal for homosexuals. Harry Hay was later ousted from the group over complicated power struggles and formed some new groups through the 60s and 70s. One of them we'll, we'll kind of get back to. He was kind of a controversial figure, and it's important 
to separate the man from the historical figure. In one article, he straight up uses the N-word, but in that like New York beatnik way, where it's like, yeah, it's not yeah. a racial slur, but stop saying it. There's never an excuse to say it, even when you're trying to be kind of beatnik about it. Please don't say it. He also <laughs> thought in really reductive ways. He would say stuff like, no gay men are competitive. And I'm not gay, but I don't like stereotypes, positive or negative in any nature. I've seen enough RuPaul's Drag Race to know, to at least argue a point in that case, that no gay men are competitive. <laughs> but also like, he's saying all straight straight men are competitive there are no gay competitive men but all straight men are competitive and like kind of but that's what men say about women and we like it's also not true men that say that women aren't competitive women are all in competition with each other that's oh, what okay. men's right people right. men mra people will say that all women are in competition with each other and we all look at that and we're like that's gross mm-hmm. same can be said like no all straight men are in competition with each other or in competition or competitive well, I am, but... <laughs> I think my segment's better than yours. But, like, I just don't like those reductive ways. And he, like, is hard stance on those reductive sort yeah. of, like, all straight yeah. men, all gay I, men. Well, look, this is this is the thing of looking back at any progressive figure from the past is, like, progressive for the time. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I heard, like, you ripped the sheet off of the issue, yeah. but then underneath that sheet... Is a person from the 50s. There, surprise, it's Nosferatu. <laughs> There's so many other, like, wrinkles and things that were, are, that were covered up that you didn't even realize were covered up. Yeah. Because you were trying to uncover this other thing and not realizing you were still perpetuating other things that yeah. were a problem. Yeah, that's definitely what this guy, yeah. like Harry Hay. All of these people that were... Every person we've <laughs> talked about. Every single person somebody's was telling part me of that, the problem. Somebody is telling me that Cesar Chavez was problematic. I'm like, Cesar Chavez? And they went I'm on sh- like, oh, I'm wow. Sure. That guy's on murals. In the 80s, Harry Hay co-founded a group called the Radical Fairies, a gay spiritual yeah. group that had like wo- woodsy retreats. The man he co-founded it with, John Bernstein, was his partner. And the two were together since they met until the end of his life Harry Hay passed in 2002 leaving behind a legacy of civil rights work but so you didn't explicitly say where this whole oh I'm sorry I'm sorry because that's like a site now yeah yeah it's a site in Silver Lake right by the Silver Lake Reservoir 2328 Cove Avenue one of the streets that goes by the the side that faces Red Lion you're facing Red Lion that side has Cove Avenue they have the Mattachine Steps and also his house which I would never walk up from an exercise standpoint on the other side of the steps are the Laurel and Hardy piano steps really yeah well, that's, that's a good double of feature of steps yeah <laughs> but also those steps i'm like i ain't walking on. like oh. the sketch the, the old-timey sketch is enough for me to the get whole a feel point like, of the sketch was how bad those steps were <laughs> how many stairs there were yeah because <laughs> they have like houses that shoot off from those mattachine steps and yeah. the house was one of those wasn't yeah it? It, yeah it's one of those houses yeah. 23 28 and i think the house might be a historical landmark it might i know be, that I'm there's sure. a sign in yeah. front of the steps so i would assume there's a sign in front of the house get to stepping everybody so that is harry hay and the mattachine society so now Let's, let's get to my first one. Are you ready for this, Greg? Yeah. Sweet Virginia, if only you were as sweet as you were to others. Oh my God. Without fail, every time. There's a song for every occasion. Okay. And if there's not, you'll write one. <laughs> That's the beauty of music. <laughs> so this one, I have to preface with the disclaimer that there's a ton of outdated terms thrown around in this story. Okay. There's a lot that I know are not okay to say anymore, and some I'm pretty sure aren't okay to say, and some I'm sure I have no idea that are not okay to say. So mm-hmm. forgive me in advance for any okay. missteps in this situation. Also, preferred pronoun of this person later in their life was she. Okay. So I'm going to use that, so don't get confused. And okay. try to keep up, Greg. <laughs> this is the story of Virginia Prince, or as she was born, Arnold Loman. Oh yeah, that's a that's a glow up right there for sure. What's a glow? Is this more slang that I'm not? It's more with? slang that you're not aware of when uh, somebody gets better later in life. Oh, glow up. Oh, that's a fun term. Have I glown up yet? Hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's not quite a term for what's happening to you. You've blown up. <laughs> it's been a long pandemic, Greg. And I think my dryer is too hot. That's what's happening with my clothes. So Arnold Lohman, born November 23rd, 1912, in our very own Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Her mom made a lot of money in real estate and I believe also in stocks and was related to the guy who invented the Ferris wheel. Oh my God. <laughs> Weren't Ferris wheels just always around? Aren't they like like growing bushes or something? Someone made that? They, they're naturally, we trim them off of most of our trees. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird to... It's wild. Yeah, it's weird. It's wild. It's the Ferris wheel. <laughs> Her dad almost deserves his own segment though in a different episode. He was a surgeon cutting for the very first time and here's just a few of his accomplishments. In 1907, he started the Los Angeles Orthopedic Hospital at 2400 South Flower next to Trade Tech. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, you're wearing a shirt from them and you don't know this already? <laughs> you didn't know about the orthopedic hospital that was probably also a baseball park and uh, a <laughs> shoots park? You didn't know that? He pioneered several treatments for people in wheelchairs. In 1927, he got the California legislator to provide teachers for disabled children in hospitals. Wow. And in 1974, he got the Presidential Medal of Freedom from the Honorable President Richard Nixon, <laughs> which is like winning an Oscar, but it's presented to you by Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like winning an Oscar for playing a slave owner. Yeah. You, I'd like to thank Simon Legree. That I, this is, thank you for being such a monster in fiction. Did Ralph Fiennes win for playing a super Nazi? I don't know if he did, but I think that uh, Christoph Waltz might have. Oh. I'd yeah. like to thank the Nazi party, for, which he would. He's from Austria. So she also had a younger sister who was a layabout baby and didn't contribute anything. Lazy. The family lived at 123 South Hobart Avenue, which seemed to be just north of Koreatown until yeah. she was eight. And then they moved to 7121 Sinalda Road, just above the Hollywood Bowl, because okay. they were like a surgeon and a real estate stock inheritance to the Ferris fortune, so they could afford that. Little Arnold went to Glendora Foothill Christian School until the seventh grade, when the entire school burned down on Thanksgiving, just like the Pilgrims intended. <laughs> just like what they did to Native American culture. <laughs> culture. A true Thanksgiving tradition. It, it just feels so suspicious when something like that happens on like a major holiday. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No one at school and it burned down. Yeah. Okay. All, sure. Yeah. I hadn't finished writing my essay. I didn't know what to do so it burned the school down. I didn't. Imagine having a giant really hard project due right before the pandemic. How yeah, a big pre- I had such a big presentation to give. Yeah. That kind of happened with us. There was like a few live shows that I was going to be on coming up. I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I hope there's a global pandemic. But I kept saying that, remember? Well, now both things are gone forever. So <laughs> you really lucked out there. Yeah, but I didn't have to be nervous for two nights. <laughs> So anyway, from then on, after this, Arnold went to a more local school and then to Pomona College for college, got married to a woman and then went on to get a PhD in pharmacology from Berkeley in 1939 and lived an uneventful, completely non-controversial life. The end. Happy Pride, everybody. Wait, Greg. You're telling me that everybody's not exactly as they seem? You see, as a young kid, Arnold took an interest in women's clothing. She de- Do you know anything about this person? No, I don't. I, I didn't even... The person we're talking about, I neglected to say their later name at the beginning. This is Virginia Prince. Oh, you did? I said Sweet Virginia. I didn't say Virginia Prince. You said Prince. Virginia Prince, and I said Glow oh, Up because yeah, of the I name. Did. That's right. What's a Glow Up? <laughs> you say you don't know anything about this no. person? Okay. And here did I, but... Now I do. But um, thanks for making me feel bad for not knowing enough about Virginia Prince. You didn't know anything about Virginia Prince? Well, wow. neither did I, but... <laughs> Call yourself an ally. I didn't know anything either, but I'm still an ally. So she developed a kind of obsession with high heels, and then at age 12, when her parents weren't home, she would go into her mom's closet and try on her clothes, okay. and it gave her an erotic pleasure, which filled her not only with 
guilt, but also with shame. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty good deal. Two for one. <laughs> to give an idea of the social climate in LA around this general time, you talked about it a little bit, that might have contributed to giving Arnold this sense of shame. There was an anti-masquerading law in LA since 1898 that yeah. said if you were caught wearing clothes of the opposite sex in public, you could get up to six months in jail or a $500 fine, which $500 in 1898, that's yep, like at least $600. Yeah. <laughs> then there was Mayor Frank Shaw in the 30s who vowed to go after, quote, sex perverts <laughs> calling homosexuals sex perverts yeah. wow okay and sent the LAPD on constant raids at quote pansy bars that's what they okay, were called okay that's one of your disclaimer things yeah this is exactly what I'm talking about yes. this is not me talking yeah. this is my alter ego Mayor Frank Shaw <laughs> from the 1930s then there was Mayor Fletcher Bowron of the 1940s who got a law passed that said female employees in City Hall couldn't wear pants and in the 1950s Police Chief William Parker was doing so many raids of gay hangouts that a whole section of the Lincoln Heights jail was reserved specifically for gay and trans people that they referred to as quote the fruit tank. Cool. The most liberal city in America, <laughs> Los Angeles, California, home of Bob Hope's house. <laughs> so this is the climate. This is yeah. what, what it was like for people yeah. like this. So not only was Arnold born into this world that was not accepting of the type of person he was realizing he was, but little did he know, it also wouldn't be accepting for pretty much the rest of her life. Yeah. Again, that sadness of you do, you didn't even know how much of this you would have to deal yeah. with for your yeah, entire Yeah, this life. was actually, a your life is a pretty prison sentence of trying to fight for rights. So naturally, Arnold wondered what was wrong with her. According to society, this was not right. What you were doing is not right. She thought maybe she might be gay, but she didn't like boys, so just accepted the only other conclusion really presented to her, she must be crazy. It's either, like, yeah. there was, you were either gay, straight... Yeah, here are the two options. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, but still, she liked wearing women's clothes, so that yeah. was, wasn't going to stop. She later said, I enjoy these clothes because they are so much more artistic than those usually worn by men, and I have never agreed with anybody more about oh, anything. We've had, you and I have had long conversations yeah. about, about how much nicer women's clothes Yeah, <laughs> The feel of them. Yeah, yeah, I think, I feel like it's gotten a little better these days but like for a long time it was like so you can either wear wear women's clothes or if you're a man you can wear this shirt that's made of felt it's just hard felt and cardboard and that's what you get to wear whatever's on your shirt it has to be extreme at yeah. all times it's got, if it's a surfer he's screaming and the surfing the wave is giant if it's a skateboarder he's a skull and the skull's on fire and make sure to wear an undershirt because it will rub off your nipples because it's so rough here's a brillo pad to cut yeah. to your size and if you wash it once you're going to need to buy a new shirt so <laughs> welcome the <to> boys <laughs> let's hear it for the boys but it quickly moved beyond being an erotic thing and she just realized that she liked the feeling of being a girl as soon as she's talking about high heels i'm like I, you you like being a female like, yeah that's, you wouldn't that's what you're going not, for most women don't even like high heels like you've got to <laughs> you, you're into this so she kept doing it whenever she could dressing up in women's clothing but never publicly until she was 18 okay. her church was having a halloween party and she thought this is it. Figured it out. <laughs> this, is, this is the perfect situation. Yeah. I'm going to go to this party dressed as a woman and it's fine. It's Halloween. Yeah. Nobody's going to say anything. Not only was it totally fine, she won first prize in the costume contest. Like that's how good she looked. And that's when she decided her skills were good enough that she could start venturing out in public like this. Yeah. So she started sneaking out as a woman and would wander the streets of downtown LA just to test out what it was like yeah. to live publicly as a woman. And she loved it. That's different than most experiences I hear from women. Yeah, about, walk, about walking downtown alone. <laughs> yeah. She went by the name Muriel and contrary okay. to how she felt before and also contrary to what she maintained for 
for the rest of her life, she enjoyed being flirted with by men and also had a few lightly sexual encounters with some some men. Complicated person we'll get into later, but then once she graduated from Pomona, it came the time when marriage to a woman was expected, and since there was no sort of information or support group around for people like her, she just went along with it and married a woman. She burned all her women's clothes the day before the wedding, and the, uh, who didn't? Yeah. <laughs> and the wife had no idea about any of this, and Arnold vowed never to dress as a woman again. That lasted for three months. <laughs> <laughs> I love like hard statements like that, yeah. like burning all the clothes. Like I'm never going to do that again. Never again. Cut to spring. <laughs> I could get a whole new wardrobe. <laughs> so she secretly picked it up again and was doing it without anybody knowing for a few years until once again, their church was having a Halloween party. Jeez. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, there's going to be a costume contest. <laughs> I got to go shopping for the costume contest at Saks Fifth Avenue. She showed up to the party dressed as a, it was a half man, half woman, I'm guessing like. Oh, straight down the middle? Yeah, like two-faced style. Vertical, not horizontal. Not yeah. like, a, like a suit jacket and a skirt. Yeah. It's like mm, down the middle. That would also be fun. You could do four. <laughs> Why not do vertical a and quadrant? Horizontal. <laughs> I didn't know if she won an award this time, but what she definitely didn't win was her wife's happiness in this whole situation. The wife was very unhappy. She did that. How are you doing your eyeliner really well? Yeah, you could learn a few things. <laughs> Jealous. Jealous much? The wife knew nothing about okay. any of this, yeah. but was unhappy that even the thought. as a joke yeah. would dress like this in yeah. public. But she figured, what will I tell my friends? The psycho cop and his wife. Yeah. What am I going to tell my, our neighbors, the clans members? <laughs> so she figured she, meaning Virginia, at this time still Arnold, you know what? Now's as good a time as any i'm gonna tell my wife that i like to dress as a woman this should go well i think i won her over by <laughs> making her upset at that halloween party <laughs> so she did and the wife was even less happy about this she explained to her wife i'm not gay i just enjoy being a woman and i want to remain married to you the wife eventually accepted that even though she was not okay with it but she, she what are you gonna do get a divorce in the yeah, 50s <laughs> she said okay i'm fine with it but she said i'm doing the clothes shopping for both of us so that friends would oh, be suspicious. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody would see you in the lingerie section of yeah. Woolworths. I don't want people seeing you at Woolworths. At the bra emporium or whatever. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't do that. Wherever stuff. women buy their underwear. I don't know. Uh, you know, the same place I get my underwear, in a bin outside of the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> in uh, a charity bin at church. The lost and found. I don't know. Where, where do women <laughs> Lost and found at work. This was their life. Arnold would go out as a woman about once every two weeks and her wife tolerated it. Yeah. Recipe for a healthy marriage. This was around 1941 and they were living in LA at the time and Arnold decided I've come this far why not come out to my parents as well that she did and her mom was fine with it her dad threatened to disown her great but downgraded that to just don't let anyone find out or I'll disown you <laughs> so now Arnold how generous you're being yeah thank you father thank you father <laughs> thank you father for accepting me for who I am so now Arnold was out of the closet to his family not out publicly right. yeah so she would go out secretly as a woman and even went to a few meetings of cross-dressers i looked it up on glad.org and from what i understand that is the correct phrase to use right now cross-dresser in long beach she was going to some meetings but then in 1951 arnold's wife had been thinking about it and thinking about it for years and finally convinced herself arnold's gay like there's no yeah, two, there's... no matter what he says arnold is gay and i don't want to be married to a gay man so she ended the marriage also fair it is fair. like yeah. it's i don't to... wish you harm i don't want to be married exactly they both wanted to keep the circumstances of their divorce hush hush so as to avoid embarrassment for both of them but of course 
the media found out almost immediately. Really? Oh, because but they were nobodies. I was about to I was about to address right now, like because because his dad is not. A, I'm not do, even that. These were just nobodies. They were nobodies out not, in the paper because the circumstances were so unusual okay. at the time. People just do, like the you know the Florida man stories. And okay. that. So, like it was just so strange. They they yeah. couldn't resist themselves. Right. A divorce of two completely unknown people. The newspapers were running headlines that said things like "Father admits liking to wear feminine garb." So now it was public knowledge, and Arnold was outed against her will. One Awful. person, yeah, imagine like going to such lengths, getting a whole divorce over this, yeah. and then and trying to go at your own pace yeah. with it too. When you're brave enough to go to each step, and then the yeah. newspapers, like, and then William Randolph Hearst is like, "We gotta, <laughs> we gotta print this." One person who took note of this story but denies that it was any sort of influence was an incorrigible young director and cross-dressing enthusiast named Ed Wood. He denies it that it was the inspiration for Glenn or Glenda. Was this I thought divorce. it was a little more Christine Jorgensen. Uh, but it might have been both. It might yeah, have been, I why mean, not both? It might have been the fact that he liked to dress like a female as well. So Yeah, you can like dressing as a man and a woman, so why not both these stories could inspire one yes. movie? Shockingly, the court allowed joint custody oh, of okay. their kids, which was a huge victory for what I think we're both surprised by the court yeah, being any progressive. Time, <laughs> anytime they don't like immediately send a gay or any the, sort of... The judge is just making a noose the whole yeah. time. I'm listening, I'm listening. He's whittling a new <laughs> Huge victory for what we now know as the LGBTQ community, but during this time, there was no support network for what Virginia Arnold was, right, was right. going through. So instead, she decided to go on a journey within herself and figure out her own support system. She got a job at Del Monte Foods and then at UC San Francisco under the name Charles Prince so that nobody would associate her with the news story. Right. Charles because that was her dad's name and Prince because she lived on Prince Street. So that's where Virginia Prince got comes it. from. One perk of working here and maybe the the reason she chose to work here in the first place was because UC San Francisco had a collection of studies on what they called transvestism, which you know what that is. So she started reading these, trying to figure out what was going on within herself. She wanted to know what everyone else was telling her was quote unquote wrong with her. She wanted to understand it. She saw six different psychiatrists who all told her she was either crazy or would give her ways to fix the problem. But by this point, she knew she didn't want to fix the problem. She, She liked it. That's just which that's just what she liked. Yeah. She knew she'd never stop doing it and she just wanted to understand why she felt the way that she felt. Her breakthrough was when UC San Francisco held a couple presentations by two people, Luis Lawrence and Barbara Richards. Barbara Richards was born a man and transitioned to become a woman and mm-hmm. Luis Lawrence was a male cross-dresser but the two were publicly known figures and were pioneers in laying out a community for cross-dressing and trans okay. people and a network for them to communicate with each other. So Arnold was very interested in their presentations yeah. and personally contacted Luis Lawrence and told her of her struggle and she Luis Lawrence connected her with a more sympathetic psychiatrist who finally said to Arnold just stop fighting this like this is who you are and there's thousands of other like you there's nothing wrong and this was Arnold's awakening as Virginia Prince she still wanted to feel it out so she took a six week solo trip around the US and Canada exclusively as a woman Mm -hmm. and when she got back she felt ready and she officially came out and identified as a woman no more Arnold Lohman this is Virginia Prince What year was this? Sorry. Early 50s or late 40s. She came to a a lot of realizations about herself and gender in general. She believed that gendering people was limiting and deprived people of their full human potential. And her way led to a more complete sense of being with the full expression of the self. She said, we must learn that being a person is more important than being either man or woman, male or female. She believed that sex was biologically defined, but gender was whether you felt masculine or feminine. And they were not always the same thing. She said, gender is between the ears, not the legs. 
legs. Best way to put it. Yeah, that's smart. I like that. <laughs> she even publicly wrote about it in an article in 1957 called Homosexually, Transvestism and Transsexualism, Reflections on Their Etiology and Difference. Catchy. You can't you deny... You could have lost a couple words can't there. Can't deny the catchiness, Greg. <laughs> so Virginia had really come into her own after a long, hard journey, but she didn't want to just keep this to herself. She said, I decided that the very tempering experiences that had hurt me so much had given me the growth, the freedom, and the guts, if you will, to start doing something about it for others in the hope that they might be spared some of what I had been through. So she wanted to help people who were going through the same thing. To her, that meant reaching out to as many people like her as possible. And had there been podcasts back then, that would have been the first step. (laughs) But instead, in 1952, she launched a newsletter called Transvestia, the Journal of the American Society for Equality in dress. Another, again, lose a few words there. Come on, Really verbose. You need a little flash. (laughs) Where's the pun? (laughs) She sent this out to a few people, but that only lasted for two issues. But now it was 1960, and she decided to resurrect Transvestia, but this time as a full-on magazine and without Mm -hmm. the clunky subtitle. First, she started her own publishing company, Chevalier Publications, and then borrowed $4 from 25 friends to get $100 to publish the first issue. Good to have friends. It's $4 from like, each yeah. one is such a funny... It's like buying different tools from different hardware stores and you're, <laughs> because you're building a bomb in your garage. <laughs> this came out... It's kind of like that. <laughs> Trust me, I've done both. It's a lot like that. This came out January 1960 with three mission statements for Transvestia. To provide expression for those interested in the subjects of exotic and unusual dress and fashion to provide information for those who through ignorance condemn that which they don't understand and to provide education for those who see evil where none exists. Virginia didn't usually write for the magazine though. The whole idea was that it was just stuff submitted by readers and Virginia would edit it all together. Or the first time it was just people that she knew would send this in. Maybe a good thing that she didn't write it because we've already seen her titles. Maybe she would be a better editor. (laughs) If she was writing it, the whole thing would just be the continuing subtitle of the (laughs) subtitle. So in this, there were poems, there were jokes, there was news and medical advice. It was like Reader's Digest, basically, but for cross-dressers. That's cool. Yeah, Yeah, uh, I'd submit to it. (laughs) They had a whole section for wives to write in about their experiences with cross-dressing husbands. Starting with the fifth issue, each cover featured a cover girl and their person personal story was told inside. It was generally a lighthearted magazine in terms of content, but the goal was to connect other crossdressers into something resembling a community, which it did, not only through shared experiences that they read about, but also people were communicating with each other around the country through the ads inside the magazine, like a desperately seeking Susan sort of thing. Oh, okay, okay. This is how Madonna got involved. <laughs> uh, if in case you're curious where this is all leading... <laughs> It all ends with Madonna. As all Pride Months do, it all ends with Madonna. So this worked. Like, the the whole plan worked. They published six times a year. It was sold by subscription and loose. You could buy it loose in adult stores. And needless to say, adult bookstores. I mean, it was the first widely distributed magazine ever to cater to the cross-dressing community. Very hard to say. It also grew outside the U.S. into the U.K., Scandinavia, and Australia. In 1962, a subscriber of Transvestia even hosted the first national gathering of cross-dressers in a resort he owned in the Catskills, which in 1962, like in this hotel, we've got the cross. And then in this one, we've got Buddy Hackett. uh, (laughs) It was a good week in the Catskills. 
and in seven years, we're having a Woodstock, everybody. <laughs> Altogether, they published 100 issues with Virginia as the editor until November 1979, when she sold it to Carol B. Croft, who's another pioneer, who put out 11 more issues before it ended in 1986 for good. But there's some sort of revival of the magazine today. I don't know what their whole story is. Yeah. I can only research so much in a month. <laughs> I, oh, my attention is so short that some days. <laughs> I can only devote so much of my time not playing Red Dead Redemption 2, <laughs> a.k.a. Burbank the game. <laughs> Burbank 1985. This is what Burbank was like in the 80s. People with tuberculosis going around trying to hunt legendary bears. All at Tin Horn Flats. <laughs> Heroes. Um, Virginia also published cross-dressing themed books through her publishing company as well that were usually written by her herself. But a magazine wasn't all Virginia Prince had to contribute. Reading things is fine and good, but she wanted an actual tangible organization that people like her could gather in. This came about in 1961 when she invited 11 of her cross-dressing friends to the back room of a church in Hollywood and told them to bring two bags, one full of their women's clothing and one full of snacks. So when they all got there, she she told everybody, all right, take out your pantyhose and heels and put it on. And it was a little awkward. But uh-huh. then once everyone was dressed in women's clothing, they all just felt comfortable with themselves. Yeah. And now open up the other bag. We're eating a bunch of Cheez-Its. <laughs> it's snack hey, time. Party. They all just ate and talked and they, they were who they were amongst wow. themselves. That's why this was called the Hose and Heels Club. Pantyhose and Heels. Got it. Which grew in membership and then in 1962 was renamed the Foundation for Full Personality Expression. This was the U.S.'s first social and support group for cross-dressers. Wow. Started in Hollywood. The membership grew the subscription list of Transvestia magazine and vice versa and pretty soon there were chapters in Chicago, New York, Canada, England, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland. They'd meet twice a month. The first meeting of the month was a lecture and discussion, and the second was a dress-up party where everyone, again, bring a lot of food. We're just going to look good and bring food. (laughs) Those are my instructions for every potluck. By 1972, they had 1,800 members, and in 1975, they became the Society for the Second Self, a.k.a. Tri-S. And in 1976, they merged with the Mamzelle Society, which was a similar group that had sprung up, and they just, now they're, we are legion. (laughs) Virginia also became a public figure figure in her quest to help the general public understand people like her. She did a lot of TV and radio interviews in the 60s and 70s, which confused me to read because they kept abbreviating transvestite as TV. And then they were saying she's doing TV interviews. And I was like, which kind? (laughs) (laughs) What's the news here? She went on a tour of Europe in 1967, doing interviews, giving speeches and helping run support groups. She allowed herself to be studied for decades by a psychiatrist at UCLA. And she also met with police chiefs to get them to see her side of the situation before they went beating cross-dressers out in the street. Didn't do much, but still, (laughs) it's a gesture. In her personal life, Virginia herself had found a second wife who was willing to accept who she was. Because remember, she still, according to her, she was not gay, which a lot of people debate, but she wanted to be married. Bisexual also can be a thing. She felt she was entirely heterosexual, but people are very skeptical of that. (laughs) So she found a second wife who was willing to accept who she was. The woman was her parents' housekeeper because her mom had pushed her into like, you should get another woman. She found this woman to be dowdy, but she gave her a 90s high school style makeover and she said, all right, fine. They'd go out together, both of them as women, and the two started a company that sold grooming 
products for humans and dogs. Okay. And the two moved somewhere off Laurel Canyon, but they got divorced in 1966. But just because she had a magazine and a society promoting what she believed in and dog grooming product money. And that's a lot of money. In, in LA, that's a lot of money. It might as well be an oil baron <laughs> in Los Angeles. It was by no means a smooth ride for the rest of Virginia's days. In 1961, she had sent a sexually explicit letter in the mail to a man. Again, she claims she thought it was a woman. A lot of people doubt this. Yeah. But the federal government took this as an excuse to clamp down on her wait and minute, her whole Wait movement. a minute, back up. Yeah. Did I hear it right? She sent a sexually explicit letter in the, in the mail, mail and the government opened it under what grounds? That she was a known cross-dresser. And so was... that gave them permission to open a letter. I know it's a little shocking to you to hear that <laughs> the federal government does these sorts of things. Okay, I mean like... Maybe it was a postcard. <laughs> Maybe it was a postcard. Maybe it was, or they held it up to a light. Maybe it was a filthy postcard. <laughs> Oops, this envelope ripped open. Nah. It fell on the floor and it a rat chewed it fell on a pair of open. scissors in my hand. One way or another, they okay. opened it. She was arrested and charged with sending illicit material in the U.S. mail, a federal crime. She pleaded guilty to avoid the media circus that it would have turned into, and she got 18 months of probation. It was forbidden to cross-dress under threat of being thrown in jail if she was caught. Her lawyer was able to get permission for her to wear women's clothing only if it was for educational purposes. Everyone's learning how good I yeah. look. <laughs> I'm teaching these people how to wear pumps. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. So Virginia Prince is referred to as the founder of the transgender movement, but this is a confusing thing to call her because yeah. she, to start, she is also credited with popularizing, if not coining the term transgender. And in her time, that meant something very different than it does today. In June 1968, Virginia got her facial hair removed electrically and started taking estrogen treatments and her words, as a result of a course of hormone therapy, I now possess a nice pair of 38B breasts. Good for you, Virginia. I, that, you know, it, it's good that you cleared up that she said that because it, it easily could have been written by you. I don't mean to, what's the word, to subjugate her, but uh, she got a nice pair of 38B breasts. <laughs> but while she went by she, her pronouns, she still identified as a cross-dressing heterosexual man. Okay. Which is a little confusing. Yeah. So her sense of the word transgender meant exclusively a woman with male genitalia, meaning they were between trans, yes. a transvestite, a man who dresses as a woman, and a transsexual, someone right. who becomes the other gender. Like transitioning. Transgender to her meant, it just meant in between those two things, which okay. is not what it means today. Oh, like transgender, like in between genders. It okay. means literally in, in between, yeah, in between not, okay. not I have gone from one gender to another. And it was this rigidity and strictness of terms and opinions that led to her being a very controversial figure today, definitely, but also in her own time within the LGBTQ community. Because it, it's kind of confusing that she's, I mean, what do I know? Again, preface this all again, but she identified as a woman, but said she was a man. A heterosexual man, a but heterosexual man who identifies to herself as a, as a she. But yeah, this was confusing to people. And also her, she was strict on her views. To start with the big one, she was very much against sexual reassignment surgery. And okay. she made that fact publicly clear which again is confusing since she identified as a woman and yeah. took estrogen treatments yeah she said the only thing sexual reassignment surgery does is to permit a transsexual woman to have vaginal intercourse with a man and i'm not into that so what seems to be happening here is that she personally did not want to get surgery so she decided nobody should get right. surgery which yeah. is mean <laughs> this is the big issue that a lot of because she was against trans yeah what we now call transgender i wonder how much she 
saw herself as the absolute role model of this 100%, entire thing. 100%. Yeah, and like, she, she, like, she, well respected, but also like, okay, your time's done, Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> there are different ways to do this. Yeah. Not, not just like, you're, you didn't clear the path for every experience. But that, look, there's more. She was so against it that when the meaning of transgender started changing to what it is today, she stopped using it. She would not use okay. the word transgender anymore. She also stopped using transvestite because of the connotations and she felt it had been co-opted by gay men in drag, which is another issue we'll get to shortly. Instead, these are the, some of the words she tried to get going that never took off. Femophilia. Okay. Fempersonator. Feminame. Oh, sorry. The second one? Fempersonator. <sighs> okay, go ahead. Feminame. These, heard... these are all one word, by the I way. I heard lemonade. Like, feminade is what I heard you say. Feminade? <laughs> Do you want lemonade, limeade, or feminade? <laughs> when life gives you females. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. There was also the fem self. Okay. Fem life, which is, uh, that's my new hashtag. <laughs> fem talk and transgender role. Transgender role. Not gender roles. Transgender role. R-A-L. Transgender Oh, okay. It's yeah. transgender role. Also, if I had like an LGBTQ themed bakery, I'd make <laughs> gender roles. And they'd be... <laughs> Let me get two of those gender roles. An order of gender roles and a glass of feminine. <laughs> so, We're having fun. No, no. <laughs> We're all having fun. None of these names caught on. You've never... We've never heard these. No, None of these work. Stick. All of a sudden, she's good at flashy names. Yeah, out of nowhere. No thanks. <laughs> so, as enlightened as she was, she still seemed to be kind of in denial about certain things about herself and took that out on others in the community. And for that, like I said, a lot of transgender people do not like this woman today. Another controversy was the way she talked about cis women, like the wives. As She wrote some things called The Transvestite and His Wife and How to Be a Woman Though Male. But in these, she was pretty unfair and sexist to the wives of cross-dressing men, putting the blame on them if they weren't into the idea of being married to a cross-dressing men, which is not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. And also having two doesn't make you the expert on it <laughs> well hey if you're married for uh, ten thousand hours you're an expert in one of the books she even had an a to f rating system for wives so the identifying as a female but also a heterosexual man starts to make more sense because she makes heterosexual man moves like that yeah yes exactly <laughs> that it's starting to make more sense now i have the attitudes of a heterosexual she had man. the best qualities of a woman and the worst of a man <laughs> this sort of disdain for wives is part of the reason why her second le- wife left her yeah the other big issue with her is how exclusive she made her clubs. You were only allowed in if you were a heterosexual cross-dressing male who was interested in women like she was. Yeah. This was not out of hatred, though, for gay people, but because she had a specific goal of getting cis men in touch with their feminine selves okay. and felt that getting gay men involved would scare those people away okay. and confuse the general public in her message that just because you were a cross-dresser doesn't mean you're gay. That was kind of her whole thing. Okay. She was inflexible in her mission there, which wasn't intended to cause harm, but it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way right. and a lot of people people in the group who didn't feel that way left to create their own more inclusive groups. Right. To her credit though, she did eventually realize that that sort of exclusion does more harm than good and admitted later, I was wrong. That, that's on me. Yeah. With, that was the feminine side of her talking. <laughs> Apologizing yeah. and admitting when you're wrong is the feminine side of her. I give myself an A as a wife. <laughs> so yes, she was ornery and rigid in her ideas and isn't seen as very progressive by a lot of people today. But like I was saying, 
progress takes baby steps. And by yeah. the time she died on May 2nd, 2009, the world still wasn't an easy place for people like her. But because of her, it was a little bit easier. So that's Virginia Prince. That's great. I can't quite place whether or not she was a nice person. Like from everything I read from personal interviews yeah. of people who knew her for like, yeah, well, she wasn't fun to be around, <laughs> but she did a lot. Just because you're important and did great things doesn't always mean you're nice. Yeah. And that's always a hard separation, especially it for is. me. When At least like- she didn't uh, like so many people, which is sad to say at least she didn't commit crimes yeah yeah, i mean she committed crimes against laws that were bad but she didn't commit like she wasn't bill cosby she wasn't uh hurting anyone with what she was well kind of she was hurting feelings and making people feel bad yeah but yeah that's virginia price and now look we're at the midway point of the episode we've got another ad for you oh my god what's it about an ad for you i'm not gonna tell you tell me right now cliffhangers greg this is an ad for cliffhangers it's cliff bar's new product cliffhangers (laughs) and we'll be right back after this ad break Hey, idiot. Do you grind yes. your teeth? <laughs> yes, that's me. Do you grind your teeth in your sleep? Of course I grind my teeth, Greg. You've seen me. You look like a person who grinds your teeth when you're awake. <laughs> I grind my teeth when I'm looking at you. Uh, yeah, yeah, like an old cartoon character. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you said that. I do grind my teeth, actually. I had to get a night guard to grind my teeth because a lot of people grind their teeth, and which is why this episode is brought to you again by Smile brilliant who can provide you with a night guard to sleep in to prevent you from grinding your teeth. Greg, I'm not alone. I'm one of over 40 million other Americans, patriots, who grind their teeth at night because they're worried about this country. And whether that's stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite, I have all of this. (laughs) You do. You're a Venn diagram. You're in the center of a Venn diagram of a lot of things that concern you. Yeah. People always, they always point out my abnormal bite when I come to them at night through their window. (laughs) Chronic teeth. Teeth grinding can lead to worn enamel, tooth decay, mm-hmm. sleeplessness, expensive dental procedures. I had to pay a lot of money to get a mouth guard from my orthodontist, and it it hurt. It hurt more than the grinding. The number one way to prevent teeth grinding recommended by dentists is a custom-fitted night guard. But like we said before, expensive. it's between $200, $300 per guard, and you can grind through those. You can yeah. like destroy them, so you'll need more than one. But if you use Smile Brilliance Lab Direct Process, you can get the same custom-fitted night guard for as little as $45. $5 per guard, Greg. Additionally, Smile Brilliant has custom-fitted teeth whitening trays if you want to get oh. really bright teeth like yeah. people I see on television. Mm-hmm. And they have the Carry Pro electric toothbrush, which if you're if you're not using an electric toothbrush, you should probably switch to the Carry Pro electric toothbrush. I still use uh, like a reed from the river that I put. <laughs> um, I just use like a regular paintbrush. What, is there like something wrong with that? It's a brush. It's got bristles. It's got white paint on it. <laughs> you don't have to do that anymore. You can switch to all this and you can go to smilebrilliant.com check out all their products and if you use the code LA Meekly all caps all one word at checkout you can get 30% off the already great deals you've got there grinding teeth like my teeth were getting flattened and the dentist was like what are you doing are you and chewing on metal only in my sleep this will stop that and your teeth can get back to normal my life has been great ever since I got a night guard teeth wise it's been great everything else I still have the stress I still have the abnormal bite and the anxiety yeah. <laughs> but my teeth are doing great <laughs> so again go to smilebrilliant.com use promo code la meekly for 30 percent off at checkout smilebrilliant.com smile brilliant be brilliant
Okay, so we're back. Welcome Hi. back to the show. Hey, everybody. Hi. My teeth are so much better after talking about that ad. That's what it was for, right? We recorded like a year ago. Yeah, that, that was... I can't wait to go up and sign up for Fork Spot. <laughs> Next up. Yeah. We're going to be talking about the Gay Liberation Front Los Angeles GLFLA, which mm-hmm. I have to say really slow. It's founder, Morris Knight, K-I... No, sorry. Morris... I think it's Kite, K-I-G-H-T. You, you warned me that this was going to be an issue, and like, not right even, away. Not, you know, the first time you say it, it's an issue. K-I-J-H-T, which the only... J-H-T reason, Sorry, G-H-T. G-H-T. I don't know what's going on with And this. the only times it ever spelled anything with a K, it follows an N, <laughs> and it spells Knight. The Dark Kite? We're going to be talking about its founder, Morris Knight. Morris as, Knight and the Four Pips? You, oh, you've heard of him. Oh, I don't need to do the segment then. And what is referred to as the Gay Inns at okay. Griffith Park at the Merry-Go-Round oh, at wow. 4730... Crystal Springs Drive. The merry-go-round that inspired Disneyland. Yeah, the, the, that... You hear idiot. that, Disney? <laughs> you hear that, you freak? You union-busted freak? You hear that, you bullies of Hollywood? <laughs> you anti-Semitic monster? <laughs> I hear you talking... Uh, did I hear this correctly? Did you come it's to Griffith Park and start talking about... You're not talking about the gays, are you? I hired a bunch of goons to <laughs> Morris Kite was born in 1919 in Proctor, Texas, the youngest of three kids. His dad died when he was seven, and soon after that, his two siblings left home, which meant that Morris and his mom were alone together a lot, and money was tight. But he managed to attend college in Texas and later moved to New Mexico, and like Harry Hay, got married and had two daughters. Life is great. Actually, he got divorced five years later and moved to Los Angeles in 1958. Uh, He moved into a cottage on South Hope Street with a big porch and lots of land. He was quoted in the LA Times as saying, in those days, it wasn't very gay to be gay it was <laughs> a blind he w- uses a term i love it was a blind horror okay terrifying. but to try to help which seems to be his nature he would pass the word in the city that he hoped to be a service to gays and lesbians on a non-judgmental non-threatening basis okay. which sounds like a trap <laughs> and people responded to this at some point there were hundreds of people coming and going from his house with different problems coming in coming out <laughs> once you come in you have to come out <laughs> if you want to leave you actually have to come out that was the, like the sign like uh on the front like when you're here you're home when you come in here you're coming out bless this mess some just wanted to be heard others came because someone in the community was in jail or needed to be bailed out someone would come in because someone was feeling suicidal and while some people in the community looked down on drag queens and hustlers and quote street people kite didn't he understood that everyone in the lgbtq fight had to be in it together he was one of these people that's very naturally community driven which is good which doesn't seem like everybody that yeah, we've talked about the so antithesis far. to virginia <laughs> prince why are there so many letters in lgbtq <laughs> i want to help all the homosexuals in america so i'm going to start a fraternal order no For for a very specific sub niche, I want to be inclusive, so I'm going to be exclusive. From <laughs> that was that's what it said on Virginia Prince's house. <laughs> when you're here to be ex- inclusive, <laughs> you gotta be exclusive. Bless this mess. Live, laugh, love. Her cross stitched live, laugh, love thing is like a wall long because it's just a title for <laughs> yeah. the cross stitch. Or colon. <laughs> from that point on, he found himself more involved in civil rights protests and organizations. His earliest contribution to the LGBTQ community is a donation to one magazine in 1964 that was founded by Harry Hay and the Mattachine Society. Uh, at risk of falling into a Abbott and Costello routine, is it one magazine, O-N-E, or are you saying they gave it to one magazine? It's one magazine. <laughs> now, Greg, <laughs> I promised <laughs> we would not get into any Abbott and Costello routines. Is the magazine called O-N-E? O-N-E. He gave it to a magazine. <laughs> but who did he give it to first? <laughs> he gave it to one magazine and a magazine. What's I don't One understand. magazine, another magazine. He was also against the Vietnam War, and he spent two years in his 60s trying to get Dow Chemicals from making napalm. Wow. He realized that a huge anti-war rally in San Francisco you know he was standing there with 350,000 young people who were fired up and he had them in front of him he realized oh they don't 
need me. <laughs> They're doing fine. Mm-hmm. Not in a negative way, but although I look at the situation negatively in retrospect, because no amount of protesting did a damn thing to stop that insane war. So like <laughs> nobody maybe they anybody. did. Need <laughs> I imagine him standing off to the side, dressed like a square, and slowly nodding, and then turning yes. and getting yes. into an unmarked <laughs> SUV. And he turns around, and his like he like goes away like a Jedi, like his clothes are just on the ground. <laughs> yeah, he turns around, and Yoda is giving him a thumbs up, <laughs> a hologram of uh, Amy Christensen. <laughs> I literally don't know what's happening here. What, what's going on? <laughs> And Jar Jar Binks is there. So he came back to Los Santos and decided to vote all his activism towards LGBTQ civil rights. No more right. splitting his time between trying to stop Vietnam, yeah. which was pointless. Wh- um, which is almost the the whole message of coming out is like, don't be two people. Don't yeah. don't divide yourself. That is like absolutely that. correct. Yeah. The year was 1969, and Morris was a father figure to the gay community. Later, like you know, at the dawn of the 70s, he was almost 50 years old. Like he was an older man already, but he was still like putting his time in and trying to solve mm-hmm. problems and help people. Like he, w- this was a good good-natured man. Morris started the Committee for Homosexual Freedom, which became later the Gay Liberation Front of Los Angeles, GLFLA. I think that comes up briefly in my okay. next one. I'm saying better, though. Um, with two other chapters in New York and Berkeley. What stood out immediately about the GLF was, unlike the Manichean Society, there was no internal hierarchy, no fraternal order style of importance. The Gay Liberation Front was more loosely structured, and they were pushing for sexual liberation for all people. Mm-hmm. So there was not like a... There, there no exclusivity. No exclusivity. Like, you just joined and you were in. And you could be a new member or the oldest member, and you're still, you put in the same amount of work and fight. For their first meeting of the Gay Liberation Front, 18 people showed up. Their first mission as a group was to have an offensive sign that used an incredibly ugly surf for gay people and told them to stay out. This sign hung in Barney's Beanery in West Hollywood. Oh, oh how the yeah. tables have turned. Yeah, I, uh, I heard about this sign. But wait a minute. So that's what they were fighting against? That was their first fight okay. as the I gay thought you were saying fight. they made this sign and like it was some sort of like reclaiming We made this thing. sign to show everybody what shouldn't be made, but it turns out we just really <laughs> yeah. like the sign We attracted now. the wrong crowd. Uh, yeah, I've heard of that sign that was in Barney's Beanery. Yeah. from they, you know, they held shop-ins, change-ins. Barney's Beanery, which is the Sunset Boulevard equivalent of Tin Horn Flats. <laughs> A hundred percent accurate. I always think like Barney's Beanery, where I would get drunk before flappers. I forgot that it's a whole. F- his- yeah. yeah, they would hold different protests until management agreed to take the sign down. From that point on, that sign hung above Morris Knights in his home, above his like a, like a deer head on a wall. So I wasn't wrong. Yeah, he they- reclaimed it. He reclaimed it, and it hung above his bar. He all dipped closed. it in formaldehyde. <laughs> <laughs> I killed that one myself. I used a twelve gauge of acceptance. In 1970 and 71, the GLF would organize something special. To me, anyways. It actually begins in 1968 on Memorial Day weekend, which is coming up, when a crowd gathered at Griffith Park to hear Mike Hannon. We're right, right here. here. Right here. Huh. A policeman turned lawyer. You hear that, Disney? <laughs> you hear that? You didn't stalk Mike Hannon in 1968, and you'll not stop me. I remember him. <laughs> I put him down, and I'll put you down. And that's why Disney is so woke today, <laughs> because we're trying to give him a false sense of security. So Mike Hannon was a policeman turned lawyer and civil rights activist who spoke to the crowd about the challenges of being gay in a homophobic society. This was referred to in a flyer as Gay Day in the Park. It was held to address a long-standing LAPD policy that effectively banned gay and lesbian people from congregating in public. So Mike Hannon was the first instance of gay activism in Griffith Park. And to remind you, Stonewall happens in 1969, so this small rally in Griffith Park kind of predates that. Yeah, we have, This is several things in LA that predate that. The yeah. black cat thing. The- oh, that's right. To further challenge the LAPD's policy, the Gay Liberation Front would hold a series of gay ins like sit-ins or change-ins or whatever three of which took place in Griffith Park near the merry-go-round again where Disney basically got the seed 
for Disneyland. <laughs> the games were meant to encourage LGBTQ persons to come out of the closet and encourage the public to accept alternative expressions of sexuality and gender. They were like closer to like an event than like a protest. Like there was music and speeches and dancing, kissing demonstration booths, kissing demonstration, kissing demonstration, kissing booths. Kissing, wait, yeah. <laughs> so it's not the same booth? No, it's not the same booth. I'll demonstrate how to kiss you. Let me show you right now. Um, And then they had booths that offered legal and social services for okay. people. Free legal services. This was held during the day and had thousands of people show up to be gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, questioning proudly in public. There were three of these over a couple of years, and LAPD's officers would come and agitate the crowds, which honestly does not sound like the LAPD uh, or any American police force. I mean, think I about it. I made that joke. When was the last time you saw cops break up an anti-masking uh, event or a Proud Boys rally? They don't do that kind of stuff. Cops breaking They're up a rally? They're on our side. They certainly wouldn't bring police brutality to a series of marches protesting police brutality. They would never do that, Daniel. That would just look stupid. That would look stupid. <laughs> uh, they would look like a, th- a force of thugs. Can you imagine the imagery? Yeah, could you imagine them being so on the nose? Could you imagine? Like, I don't know, a year ago uh, <laughs> today, maybe? Anyways, many in the community saw the Gayans as a precursor to the Pride Rally, which mm-hmm. would officially take place in Los Angeles in June of 1970, the, the following which year. you talked about, and I'm going to get into a little bit more in no. my second. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, so it's only like a slight precursor. Basically, like it was almost like the energy held over into like, we're going to close down Santa Monica Boulevard. <laughs> and by the way, Morris Kite was one of the founders of the Pride Parade, along with Reverend Bob Humphreys and Reverend Troy Perry, along oh, with Reverend Troy Street. Perry. That's a name that uh, I'm about to say in a few minutes. Huh. A lot or a little? It's all about him. Oh, my whole next thing is about Troy Perry. Well, <laughs> your guy knew my guy. And together <laughs> Actually, they set up the Pride my guy, Rally. My guy knew your guy. Or whatever's the opposite. The whatever, whatever's the better one, the version of that. <laughs> whatever allows me to be uh, in the win. Whatever makes you lose face to the public. <laughs> On the morning of the parade, uh, Morris, this isn't a laughing matter. It's just so ridiculous. It received eight separate death threats. Hello, LAPD, is that you? In two years, Morris helped organize 175 protests and demonstrations in response the LAPD raided his house three times looking for subversive mailing lists like it's 1930 through 1990. <laughs> um, in 1971, Morris and another activist from the GLF started the Gay Community Service Center in an old Victorian home at 1640 Wilshire Boulevard. Uh, I think it's around MacArthur Park. And as the paper put it, it quickly became a tourist attraction in, in a purely 70s way. The first day they opened, a tour bus would stop outside the center and they would say, you don't know what they are into in Los Angeles. They are really degenerate. They are really degraded they have a gay community center wait a minute so oh my god wait like anti-gays like Like just a tourist like a like tourists come to los angeles to see the sites and a tourist company made a stop at a gay community center like sickos as (laughs) if they're stopping at like peter fox house yeah no they would they would make a stop to like sideshow them that's on like as soon as they opened monsters that's weird i thought you were saying that like gay tourists would come and be like oh look at this eventually very quickly the community center was already helping people like people would show up to the door with luggage and no other options and they would take care of them the GLF didn't really last much longer they dissolved in 1972 because of the very thing that separated them from previous activist groups lack of organizational skills (laughs) a lack of organizational structure sorry (laughs) structure the phrase that I put on my resume I just heard a little boy after I say that go ew 
you have to write a resume, not me. My dad is Donald Trump. <laughs> my dad works over there at Disney. I'm going to be John Lasseter when I grow up. My dad makes fake blood for the movies, and I'm rich. Tell him how rich I am, Daddy. Say it. Say it in front of all my friends. Tell him how rich I am. <laughs> and blood starts coming. <laughs> <laughs> he, he walks over here, but he like gets gunned down like Sonny from The Godfather. I made these squibs myself. They massacred my props. Um, <laughs> so the thing that separated GLF was they had no organized structure to be more inclusive. It's basically the same thing that undid them. How were his communication skills and his willingness to collaborate? <laughs> was he ambitious and uh, creative? Was he driven? Was, was he, he a- driven, Greg? <laughs> was he driven, persistent, or both? <laughs> We've got resumes on the brain, everybody. Resumes. That's right, anybody who's hiring <laughs> for better jobs than we have. We've got resumes. Here's the thing. I don't want another job. <laughs> I've been thinking about how like a dream job is such a scam, like kidnapping someone. Like, okay, if we can tie you to the furnace and make you do one thing, what do you want to do? Like, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> if there's one thing we learned from the pandemic. I don't want any job. There is no dream job. My dream job is not doing anything. I want the government to provide a cushy life for me. And I hit it big uh, with GameStop. But GLF breaking up didn't stop Morris. He would go around consoling people, holding protests still, giving speeches, organizing institutions, fighting homophobia, defending gay rights. But he has poor organizational skills. On the resume, he lied about it. He just got bet, fake it till you make it. The worst phrase in American history, fake it till you make it. In 1988, he would go to hospices and medical centers to visit AIDS victims and console them. He was a good-mannered, good-natured activist. He called people sir or lady, called thugs brigands. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Brigands. How old was this guy? He was born in 1919. That, that still feels too young to be calling people brigands. Another... The scallywags keep busting up my organization. <laughs> ah, fiddlesticks. Here's another another thing morris claims to be the first person in los angeles to ever throw a yard sale <laughs> i read that and started laughing wrote it and started laughing said it out loud and there were laughing. so many different directions i thought that sentence was gonna end in and that was the last one and there's no way you can prove him wrong on that either <laughs> Did not have to register that in the paper. <laughs> sure, one guy had an estate sale and there was a garage sale, but this was a, a yard, yard sale, sale and you can't take that away from me. His whole life, he, he lived very frugally and a big chunk of his money came from his twice yearly yard sales where he sold <laughs> antiques and collectibles. He's not like me selling VHSs and books <laughs> I don't want to read. Antiques and collectibles of Karate Kid 3. <laughs> he sold brass, silver, china, silverware, weavings and the like. He built up a Rolodex of dealers and wrangled in customers like Liberace. Um, really? Yeah. Morris Kite died in 2003 because of several different ailments because he was a very old man, but he left behind a legacy of powerful activism in Los Angeles. His home was at 1822 West 4th Street in LA, 90052 in Koreatown, and it's on the LA Conservancy website, and they are trying to get it registered as a historic cultural monument. That's the least the city can do to honor Morris Kite and the Gay Liberation Front. Thank you very much for listening. Thank I'm going to go home. Enjoy the last I hope you enjoyed my resume. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody enjoy the rest of the show. I will not. <laughs> I will be somewhere else. Thank you very much. It seems like there's a lot of intersection with this last one here. So let me tell you about this last one that yeah. we've got here. This is the last segment to celebrate this month. Well, the MCC won't let me be or let me be me, so let me see. Actually, yes, they will. That's their whole thing. Well, you don't like Eminem? Suddenly you don't like Eminem? Oh my god, were you quoting? Marshall Mathers? Were you were you riffing on Marshall Mathers Eminem? I'm always riffing on Marshall <laughs> Mathers. And that's why he hates me so much. He's put me in so many of his songs. He slammed me in so many of his songs. <laughs> that's why. Okay. That is from the hit Without Me by <laughs> Marshall Mathers, or you might know You might him. remember him from the Oscars <laughs> in 2019 for <laughs> some reason. You might know him as putting down the sort of people we're about to be talking about. So this next one is about the 
the Metropolitan Community Church, MCC. Okay. Won't let me be. Or let me be me, so let me see. <laughs> Try me be down on MTV, but it feels so empty without me. This and that is yet again. Eminem, Marshall Mathers. Marshall Mathers, Mars Star of Mars. 8 Mile, a film about himself. <laughs> Notorious drug addict who went through a lot in his life and had a lot of legal issues with his wife. <laughs> Marshall Mathers. What was his wife's name? Betty? No. Something something, that B word, that C word, something something, and then her name. <laughs> Let's say all the offensive things that Eminem <laughs> has to say. Anyway, <laughs> the Metropolitan Community Church. No, no relation to Eminem. It begins with a guy, the Metropolitan Metropolitan Community Church. It begins with a guy who I think is great. This is this, I'm really excited to talk about okay. this guy. And this is a, a positive, upbeat ending to this story. And I'm not talking about God. <laughs> I don't want to talk about upbeat as in beat, as in Eminem songs. What I'm talking about is... You know, the upbeat is when you say the first part of the iambic pentameter <laughs> that Marshall Mathers was such a master of. So we're talking about Troy DeRoy Perry. <laughs> Troy DeRoy Perry. And that's not like Troy... DeRoy in quotes. Oh, okay. His, just, his middle name was DeRoy. DeRoy. D- I guess maybe DeRoy, but it's Troy DeRoy of the King. Perry. He was born July 27th, 1940 in Tallahassee, Florida. His parents weren't religious, but his aunt and uncle were, and they got him into being a Baptist, and eventually he switched to Pentecostalism. And I, say, I, I said it once, and, I, and Melissa said I said it wrong, and now I don't know what the right way to say it is. You're asking the wrong guy about <laughs> pronunciation, so you're good. I'm a Methodist. <laughs> I'm a Methodist. I'm going to say Pentecostalism, yeah. which, by the way, started in LA. That's a whole other right. story. He eventually moved away from Pentecostalism to a more tame version of Christianity because he said, if I've got to pick up a snake to get to heaven, I'm going to bust hell wide open because I'm not going to handle snakes. Love it. Then when he was 11, a horrible thing happened and his dad was killed and he didn't really know what had happened until he saw the front page of the newspaper oh the next day. Oh my God. It turns out his dad had secretly been the biggest bootlegger in Northern Florida and the cop caught him and killed him when he was trying to run away. His dad was Pretty Boy Floyd. Troy, Pretty Boy. That's insane. Imagine opening a newspaper. I know that guy. Oh, yeah. no. By the way, there's a weird technical issue going on. I'm hearing it again. There's like a squeaking noise with my microphone. Apologies. Uh, send us more money and we'll buy new microphones. So, big shock for Troy the boy DeRoy. And even stranger for him was that his mom remarried another guy just six months later. Yeah. Even stranger was that this new guy was a monster. He was an alcoholic. He beat Troy's mom right in front of Troy and he also sexually abused Troy so just a bad guy what a winning catch that yeah. guy is good job way to go Mrs. Mom. Perry 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 not you said Barry I said Perry oh, you I heard Barry I, I said Perry I'll give it to you when I say it wrong don't you get me on this one okay don't you dare <laughs> hey, you know that new husband you're looking for <laughs> well, please Perry. don't pick this one <laughs> So Troy never wanted to take much of anything from anybody. He decided at age 13 to drop out of school. He was very religious, so he figured Jesus was coming. What do I need algebra for? Hey, can't argue with that. Can't argue with religion. (laughs) And he ran away from home to live with his aunt and uncle in Georgia. Now his aunt, who I think was named Aunt B... I think I know who the kid is you're talking about. I think I know him. <laughs> Little red-haired boy? <laughs> Gets hit with his dad every couple episodes, and this is a heartbreaking Every moment. couple of episodes. I've had like twice. <laughs> okay, so. you're right. It happen twice. I think about it every episode, though. Oh, God, every please episode don't hit didn't end with Andy hitting Opie. Yeah. <laughs> Please, God, do not hit Opie in this episode. I'm begging you. So he knew he wanted to be more involved in the church. So the very next Sunday that he moved in with them, Aunt B arranged for him to be able to preach at their church. A 13-year-old boy. He was preaching in a church. And afterwards, she told him... He has, like, action figures. (laughs) And then 
and then Jesus, Jesus looked down on everybody. Uh, this is everybody right here. And they go, oh, get out of here. Get out of here, you. Imagine that this Stretch Armstrong is Jesus <laughs> on the cross. And they stretched him really far. <laughs> they got long pieces of wood. And they hit him with a nail. The nail sput back out because he's rubber. Now, idea, this is an ideal situation. <laughs> this is how it would have gone. But afterwards... <laughs> Please. Bringing us back from uh, <laughs> something that could be very offensive. <laughs> Afterwards, she told him something. Aunt B told him something that stuck with him forever. Okay. Always finish your pie. The Lord has a ministry for you, a great ministry, but it won't be the church you're currently in. Kind of a slam for yeah. a 13-year-old boy who just did his first sermon. But <laughs> i got some notes for you. Find a different church. The sentiment was there, though. She meant it in a good way. Yeah. He kept working at it, and at age 15, he was officially licensed to be a preacher. After Georgia, he went to Texas to live with another aunt, and while he was there, his mom finally left that stepdad and begged her son to come back to her, and he loved his mom. So he did, and he became ordained for the Southern Baptist Church. Okay. But beneath all this outward turmoil in his life, he also had inner turmoil. <laughs> It's a two-way street, it turns out. <laughs> it wasn't all fun and games like it sounded like. You see, Troy, wouldn't you believe that he was attracted to men? What hey. was that, like four people this episode now? Wow. We're, How did what, that happen? What are the odds? Good thing it's Pride Month. <laughs> As a kid growing up in 19, 1940s and 1950s Florida, he didn't really know what being gay was. Yeah. It All he knew was in a book he had seen in school, it said that homosexuals were mentally ill and dressed in their mom's clothes. Huh. And he didn't do that. And he knew that he wasn't mentally ill. So he didn't quite understand that that he was in fact gay because right. he didn't like he thought like oh the qualifications for being gay is you are insane and you dress in your mom's clothes I'm not insane I could see him going to like the sentence like homosexual mental ill like huh and going to a dictionary yeah. homosexual huh he didn't tick the boxes so he didn't understand that yeah. he was gay because they you, gave him have no one to tell you they have no one to tell you and they the definition of a gay person they gave him was not a gay person yeah yeah it was like a, the picture was like a person in a straight jacket like well, that's yeah. not me on top of that his religious teachings told him that being gay was a sin and the last thing he wanted to be was a sinner. So he later right. reflected on this saying, through puberty, they had me singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Once I went through puberty, they said, no, he doesn't. <laughs> this guy's pretty good with like... He's got great zing. He's, he's got, got a, There's a lot of great lines in this, <laughs> which I never thought I'd say for a thing that's about a religious <laughs> organization. You never thought you'd look up to a religious figure? Yeah. So finally, when he was 18, he had to talk to someone about it. So he told... Wait, how old? 18? 18 years Legal old. Legal adult. Legal adult. He had to talk to someone about it. He told the last person he should have told. He told his pastor, and the pastor said, Oh, okay, I get it. I get what you're saying. All you need to fix that is marry a good woman and you'll be cured. I got a fix for this problem. Yeah. Do the opposite of what you're feeling. Joke. Okay, so you're saying to me that you're attracted to men. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I figured it out. Marry a woman. Marry a woman. Don't Double be. down. Joke ended up being on this guy. The girl he set him up to marry was his own daughter, the preacher's daughter. Pearl Pinion, which is a fun name. In 1959, he married Pearl Pinion. Not long after the marriage, Troy and Pearl moved to Summit, Illinois, where he enrolled at the Midwest Bible College and also worked as a pastor in Joliet. They were around here and the Chicago area for a couple of years. They had two kids, but the mm -hmm. fact remained, Troy was gay as heaven. Yeah. Like, there was no denying like, that he was gay. Like a gay person. Yeah, like a gay person is. They're pretty gay. <laughs> he had had some sexual relationships with people of the same gender yeah. growing up on and off and that didn't stop when he right. got married why you know why would it? the problem was his church in illinois found out about this and when they did they excommunicated him and his boss gave him 20 dollars and asked him to leave the state of illinois that is somehow more than i thought they would have you yeah know? that's nice that they gave like, him 20 i know a part of me is like oh wow they gave him 20 bucks <laughs> thank you i knew this church was accepting <laughs> that's such 
a crazy thing to be excommunicated. I know. This was an incident he kept from his wife, losing his job and everything. But he soon decided to take their family far, far away where people didn't know who he was. Sunny Los Angeles, California, where there's absolutely no temptation for a closeted gay man. Troy got a job with a plastics company, but his religion was still important to him. So he decided to get back involved with the church. He was kind of out with the whole Baptist thing. So he had to go crawling back on his belly like a snake to the Pentecostals. Pentecostals. He had to go back to them. He became a preacher at the Church of God of Prophecy, which was here in town, and was determined to keep his homosexuality under tighter wraps this time. But then one day, this is so funny, he stumbled upon a bookstore. He went inside to check it out and he flipped through a few magazines and they were filled with pictures of gay men. Turns out this was a gay bookstore he was in. I don't know if it was Circus of Books or something like that, but he wandered into this bookstore, a gay bookstore, found all these pictures of men, and he still didn't understand what it meant to be gay and he thought being married to a woman would have stopped him from being gay but stopped the way he felt but when he was in here he wondered why do I still feel so attracted to these things why do I like why did I buy five copies of this book well he went up to the register and asked the person working here stop do you have any books on homosexuality (laughs) and the person said I have a you i have a bookstore on homosexuality (laughs) but then troy said give me a copy of everything you've got so he went home with like a stack of porn and uh, (laughs) it wasn't just porn though it was also community stuff it was actual books on homosexuality like explaining what homosexuality was so he hid all of these things from his wife of course and as he read them he finally understood that the way he felt was normal he finally got it he never could have believed there were other people like him but seeing all this stuff and that there was a whole community made him realize who he was and that he was ready to come out and admit it to the world. He decided first, again, bad move, tell it to his church. You have one guess of how that went. It Actually, it's probably worse than what you thought. He didn't get $20 this time. <laughs> then it is worse than I thought. The first question they asked him, did you molest any of the children? Uh, I said I was gay, not a member of any Catholic church. Then he told him, you have failed the Lord. And then they defrocked him, excommunicated him, and told him to pray his gayness away and to tell nobody the reason he was fired. Then he thought, well, that went well. (laughs) Time to tell my wife and kids. Oh, my kids are going to love hearing this. He sat down with his wife and told her, I'm gay. To which she said, I figured, because she found his stash of porn in the house. But she told him she thought it could still work and wanted to stay together. And he said, no. (laughs) Which is fair. No, it will not work. He had a pretty good awareness. um, And he he was never one to be pushed around, ever. He wasn't going to go along with many... Like, once he understood, he wasn't going to go along with anything. And there seemed to be, like, an innocence to him. Unlike maybe Harry Hay, who, like, was leading a double life for a while and cheating on his wife. There seems to be like, no, I think I'm going to explore this. Yeah, he just didn't know what was going on yeah. with him. She moved back home with her parents and she took the kids and he wasn't able to see his own children for 17 years, Jeez. which destroyed him. Yeah, He later reconnected with one of them, but the other one rejected him as a father. Very yeah. sad situation. So now Troy had no family and no religion to fall back on and he was stuck in LA. This was 1965 and he did the only thing he could do, got a job at Sears. And that wasn't for him, so he decided, I'm going to join the army. Oh boy. The reason he was able to join the army who was of course very anti-gay because on the application it asked him if he had homosexual tendencies but he figured 
they're not tendencies. I'm homosexual. So he said no. And uh, and it worked. And, and he was stationed in Germany until 1967. I don't think of breathing as a tendency. Yeah. Do you tend to need oxygen? <laughs> I don't tend to. I need oxygen. He told his army buddies he was gay and they were like, I just thought you were from California. Like, I thought that was your thing. Hey, by the way, that's what currently other people from I know. other states think. I know. Hey, welcome to the army. It's still other states. The army, the other states. States of the, the other of states it. of America. Uh, After the, I just thought you were. Oh my god! Yeah, I thought you were from California. I thought you were like a vegetarian. Yeah, I, I couldn't <laughs> put it together. I thought you just like surfing. <laughs> After the army, he came back to LA and just tried to make a go at life as a gay man. He was okay. out and he met guys, but overall, he was kind of lost and he was drifting and he didn't even have the comfort of church anymore because he did not feel welcomed in church as a gay yeah. man. Even if he tried, Protestant churches in the '60s didn't welcome openly gay people, and he was not going to be closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if anyone asked, he's going to tell him I'm gay. What a strong person that is. Very strong person. Then two truly awful things happen in the same year of his life. Trigger warning for the first one. I don't know where you're going to go. I don't know. Fast forward a little bit. I don't know. In 1968, he fell in love with a guy named Benny, but it didn't work out and Benny dumped him. So now Troy, once again, he had nothing, no religion. The guy who loved him was gone. So he went into his bathtub, took a razor, cut his wrist open. From what I read, for whatever reason, Benny came back to the house and saw Troy in the bathroom, passed out, dying, like almost dead, rushed him to the LA County hospital, saved his life. But when Troy Woke up. He's still broken up. With yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not. This isn't yeah, me getting back together. I'm just saving your life because I'm a good person. I still like you as a person. <laughs> not like that. Yeah. No. I still like that you are a person and not a dead person. Exactly. When Troy woke up, he cried for three hours straight. He oh. was just broken. And then a woman there was handing out religious pamphlets and saw how distraught he was and gave him one and told him, "Some of us care about you." And that was enough. He rediscovered God, but not quite his religion. Okay. That's, that, and that, that and there sense. is a separation there. Exactly. He still did not feel welcomed in the church and then came the second event he was often at this gay bar called the patch in wilmington and one night surprise surprise the lapd had undercover cops in there and they just started arresting people troy wasn't arrested but his friend carlos was for no other reason than just being in a gay bar he was gay and of course i'm sure the name carlos didn't help but while he was in jail the police told carlos they were going to call his boss and tell him he was gay so that he'd be fired and they just kept harassing him torch emotionally torturing him for hours until troy was finally able to get him out. Carlos was freaked out, of course, but Troy tried to comfort him the way he knew how by telling him, God loves you, blah, 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 blah. But Carlos said the saddest thing, we're just a bunch of dirty queers. God doesn't care about me. And that was when Troy realized he needed to make a church for gay people. It's not okay if you believe in God and then you will also have to believe that God hates you. Like that that shouldn't happen. Nobody wants that toxic relationship. You got to cut this guy out. (laughs) He felt not only that it was needed but that God wanted him to start a new church that would reach into the gay community, which is uh, a revelation because yeah. not only like, I'm going to do a church, I know God hates gay people, he believed God did not hate gay people. Right. This wasn't going to be an easy task. For obvious reasons, there was and is a healthy skepticism of organized religion in the LGBTQ community, but there's still plenty of people in that community who believe in religion and want to be religious, but also want to be accepted. And this is what Troy Perry wanted to create. He knew deep down that God loved him and by association if you love me then you love other gay people yeah there you go yeah that's enough of a seed to plant a church yeah this is the seed upon which my church rock will be built (laughs) upon which my church will be built there had been gay friendly churches around since 1946 but this wasn't just going to be a gay friendly church it was going to be downright pro-gay a whole network right not just accepting but 
but like actively, actively yeah, gay. Uh, Welcome to church. We're actively gay. <laughs> We're actively gay now. But first, he had to start somewhere, and seeing as how most venues would not allow something like this on their premises, he decided to hold his first service in his own house. This was 6205 Miles Avenue in Huntington Park. When he told his roommate the plan, he said, how are you going to organize a bunch of queens and get them to follow any religion or any person or do anything together? You know how bitchy we are. <laughs> then he told his friend slash roommate, I'll be doing it in the house. And he said, I'm already too much for Huntington Park. <laughs> the neighborhood can't take the strain. <laughs> that being said, he said, all right, I'm in. I'll be there. He invited a few more of his friends who said they'd come, but he wanted to reach a bigger group. So he decided to take out an ad in a little local gay magazine called The Advocate. Ah. The ad was coming out in the October issue, which would be released the last week of September. So to give people time to see it, he set the first service for October 6th, 1968. And on that day, a whopping... 12 people came. That's something. It's something. Three of them had seen the ad in The Advocate, so it kind of worked. But it was still a big deal for everybody, for yeah. those 12 people. Troy had borrowed a robe specially for this. I don't know if he did this in the first meeting, but eventually he would wear a pink uh, collar oh, cool. instead of white. And everyone was scared that they were going to be attacked or yeah. busted up at any moment because he put his home address where his gay church was meeting <laughs> in a public magazine. Yeah. Like, Dear LAPD. Yeah, I'm going to put this in the police union newsletter. <laughs> but at the same time, like you think anybody from the LAPD is looking at the advocate. Yeah. But still, it was so emotional for everybody and people were crying because it was the first time they had ever felt welcomed inside of a church. Like, yeah. This was huge. It was a really big deal. The next week, the group grew to 14, then to 16, then it dropped to 9, but then it went to 22. <laughs> Those five were out getting more people. Yeah. And then it went to 20, <laughs> and then it went to 27, but it went to 18. After that first initial drop, it never went down in numbers again. By their 10th week, they had 36 congregants and it was time to move out of the old parsonage as they called his house so they moved into bigger venues like the women's club of huntington park the embassy auditorium downtown and the first methodist church and by 1969 they now had 150 congregants but how was troy doing this how was he winning over gay people to a religion who they had all been told their whole lives hated gay people yeah. to start he tailored the services themselves to fit the styles that the congregants were used to and were comfortable with so it was kind of like a mixture of episcopal presbyterian lutheran like yeah. whatever people we're familiar with. Yeah. From, what do you guys like? Yeah, what, what are you into? I, I'll take requests. Anybody, <laughs> anybody here like Jainism? Uh, I can do Zoroastrian. From a literal standpoint, their interpretation of the passages in the Bible that people take to mean gay people are bad. Of like the two or whatever? Yeah. I, I don't know how... Look, I think there might even just be one. I don't have the Bible memorized. They specifically said one, so I figured, oh, there's only one thing. I'm sure people twist and turn other yeah. stuff. But anyway, this one thing, the literal translation of that in Greek, which I don't get why it's in Greek. It's the Bible. Because it got translated a million times. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the phrase lost in translation? <laughs> anyway, the literal translation in Greek about sex workers, that's what it was about. It was saying that sex workers are bad, not homosexuals as a group are bad. That's how they interpreted that. And that's Which, also the clip that the news program is going to cut out of you saying a sex workers is bad and then make that the headline. Problematic in a different way. Yeah. But yeah, that's... That, Daniel Zafrin, host of Alan <laughs> That's the way they literally took that. So Troy believed that sexual orientation and gender identity of the lenses through which you should be viewing and interpreting the Bible. In his church, they rejected the traditional Christian ideas of marriage, gender, and sex. He taught that you should love Jesus, yeah, 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 <laughs> nurture a queer community, and always intervene when something homophobic was happening or okay. about to happen. Good. Their core values were love, inclusion, social justice, diversity, spirituality, 
and acceptance. They were vocally pro-gay rights, and his whole thing was, we're not afraid anymore. Like, they, they were not going to be a secret thing. Yeah. This was the Metropolitan Community Church. And as they grew, people in other cities started contacting him, asking if they could start their own MCCs in their own towns. And they did. In 1970, the leaders from the MCCs in Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, Chicago, and Honolulu met and formed the Universal Fellowship of Metropolitan Community wow. Churches. Then in 1972, they opened one in New York. 1974, they became the first gay organization in Las Vegas. Back in LA, they finally got their own dedicated church building in 1971 at 2201 South Union Avenue, north of USC, which they shared with Beth Chaim Hadashim, which was the world's first LGBTQ Jewish synagogue. Oh, wow, really? So it was a double twofer. Yeah. It was a twofer. But of course, this success was met with pushback. There were many, many bomb threats against them, and their churches were regular targets for homophobic arsonists, which are the worst kind of arsonists. <laughs> Why can't you just be a normal arsonist? Why can't you just set fire to the hills above Malibu? <laughs> in 1972 and 73, their buildings in San Francisco were burned, but on January 27, 1973, the flagship in LA on South Union got completely destroyed Did by it fire. really? Yeah. Nobody was ever caught for the arson, but that same week it was destroyed, Troy decided to just... They declared war right now. Can't kids have war somewhere else these days? <laughs> this is a DMZ. <laughs> we don't support the children's crusade. <laughs> and now they called war and the helicopters are back. <laughs> when you call war in Burbank, it's, it's real. It's official. So the same week that it was destroyed, their church, Troy, decided to just hold that week's service outside the building and a thousand people came to support. They just did a whole sermon outside. While it was being rebuilt, they had to move around to places like the Aquarius Theater in Hollywood and the American Legion Hall in Hollywood. In all, 17 of their churches were burned over the years, the worst of which was at the New Orleans chapter in 1973, which held their services in a gay bar called the Upstairs Lounge. The fire happened while people were in there and 32 people died. Jesus. It was the deadliest fire in New Orleans history, which seems like a place that goes up in flames a lot. And for this to be the it worst It seems thing like it's bad. the state where it's always the deadliest thing in history. Yeah. The state of the, the deadliest, deadliest beignet in history. <laughs> the horrible tragedy of this mm-hmm. fire, almost as bad was that most of the other churches in towns wouldn't even let Troy hold a memorial service for the people and several of the bodies were never claimed by the families because they didn't want to it's awful uh, yeah but none of this deterred Troy Perry he said we can't back away from being who we are yeah. and he lived up to this promise to fight for change and action I don't even know where to begin so I'll begin in 1969, he performed the first public same-sex wedding in the United States. Okay. The MCC has maintained a right of holy union for same-sex couples since then, and obviously they still do today. That same year, 1969, he led a march to end anti-sodomy laws in LA. He sued the state of California on behalf of two lesbians who wanted to get married in 1970. To that point, he was constantly suing <laughs> governments and organizations for being anti-gay. Just yeah. Always suing. In 1970, he led a protest over the death of Howard Eflin, who was a gay man that was killed by the LAPD vice squad. He was part of the Gay Liberation Front and I, th- I think we talked about them. Have we ever talked about them? The Gay Liberation Front? No, not to my knowledge. It might have been the best segment we've ever recorded to be honest, okay? But that's not to my knowledge. <laughs> and I think we talked about this also a little bit in the parades episode. In 1970, he was huge in getting LA's and the world, for that matter's first public gay pride parade going. Yeah. They knew that they had to ask permission for any parade from the police commission. So he and two others had to 
go in there and the plan was to ask for it under the name of the MCC so they wouldn't know they were gay because they knew they'd never do it. But Troy said, that's fine, but if they start on me, I'm not going to take any nonsense from the police commission. I don't care. Damn. So they went to the police. That's bolder than so many people. He's a little reverend. He's an an inspiration to to, no other way to put it. So he went to the meeting and they kept grilling him. They're like, who are you again? (laughs) What what do you represent? And finally he said, I represent the homosexual community of Los Angeles. And they reacted as if someone shot them in the face. Like they could not believe. Clear the room! (laughs) Put the place on lockdown. Get the the commissioner in the bunker. So when they finally recovered from the shock of seeing a homosexual, they of course started making fun of them. Right. When their heads stopped spitting for a second. (laughs) When the steam stopped coming out of their ears. (laughs) And they told them that, I think you covered this, they had to put down a million dollars to cover damage for when people throw rocks and bricks at you. So Troy said, oh, like the Jews in Germany? And they just got angrier. So they told him they had to pay an extra 500000 so that the cops could protect all you people. So Troy sued the LAPD. <laughs> and the, I think I know where I'm going to get that money from. Yeah. Amount in damages, a million and a half, please. <laughs> so the judge ruled in favor of... Troy, which again, surprising, and let them do the parade for free. And the rest is a previous episode of LA Meekly History. (laughs) Troy marched proudly in the parade side by side with his partner and his biggest fan, his mom. His mom was so proud of him and she she was the first heterosexual member of the MCC. She was in TV interviews supporting her son. One time she did ask him, do you have to tell so many people that you're gay? (laughs) And she said, everybody asks. (laughs) The state of California asks trash collectors if they're gay. Are you frightened I'm going to rape trash cans? He had made a vow to himself to never lie again and he didn't. After the parade, he went on a hunger strike until someone from the LA city government agreed to talk to him about gay rights instead they arrested him okay he kept fasting in jail and people came to hold a vigil for him outside and became a whole media thing for days because he refused to pay the 25 dollar fine and again he took them to court <laughs> for 25 dollars in 1971 i think i want to know where i'm gonna get that 25 dollars from <laughs> i have a new lawsuit the last one was for a million and a half this one's for 25 dollars <laughs> in 1971 he was the chairman for, of the committee for homosexual law reform and organized something called a liberation singspiration musical extravaganza perfect on june 20th of that year he marched from oakland to sacramento against california's anti-sodomy laws and many people along the way shot at them and tried to kill them in several ways they made it a point to include women and people of color in their church to better reflect the demographics of los angeles and in 1972 frida smith became their first licensed female minister he helped plan the national march on washington for lesbian and gay rights in 1979 Uh and did so again in 87 93, 2000, and 2009. At the 93 one, he wed 2,600 gay couples in front of the IRS building. Wow. Uh, gather around, children. You want to hear about anti-sodomy I'm laws? I'm waiting for one of the kids. Be like, what are you talking about? Anti-sodomy What's anti-sodomy? Laws? The church was very involved in AIDS research, and Troy had to preside over way more AIDS funerals than anybody would have wanted. Mm-hmm. And Troy himself became something of a celebrity. He had retired from being a full-time pastor in 1973, but obviously he was still very involved. Yeah. He was on 60 Minutes, PBS, Dateline, Nightline, Lifeline, Loveline. <laughs> he was in Life Magazine. He wrote an autobiography in 1972 called The Lord Is My shepherd and he knows I'm gay, which I I keep reading as the Lord is my shepherd and he knows I'm gay. (laughs) He's been invited to the White House by Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama. For a while, he was the most famous openly gay man in the world, which made him like 37th overall among famous men in the world. Yeah. 
Today, the MCC is huge. They now have 222 congregations in 32 countries with a total of around 40,000 members. They were the first gay church in Spain in 2010. They did the first gay wedding in the UK in 2014. Any guess where their biggest chapter is? I'm not leading you into anything. I'm just curious, where do you think it would be? Because I bet it's not where you would think. I mean, it's the, the trifecta cities. It's either San Francisco, LA, or New York. It's Toronto. Toronto, Canada? Toronto, Toronto, Canada. Canada. Golly. They are the biggest gay ministry in the world and the oldest continually operating LGBTQ ministry in the world. Wow. They've been trying to get into the National Council of Churches since 1981, and they get rejected every single year. They were given observer status, though. One of the MCC priests said that they're harder to get into than heaven. The joke only they think is funny. That goes over big at the meeting. <laughs> every laugh. year, it's the same joke. It's their closer for when they inevitably get rejected. You start again. with the second best joke and you end with the best joke. That's the best joke. I can't wait to hear their opener. In 2002, though, they were authorized to provide chaplains to VAs. Their current home in LA is at 4607 Prospect Avenue near Los Feliz. Uh, it's kind of misleading to think of them as the gay church, though. Like, they're not the gay church. They're focused on outreach to the LGBTQ community, and most of their congregants are gay, but they're open to anybody. Yeah. Uh, about 15% of their members are they heterosexual. Don't test you no. What do you think of this top? Uh, <laughs> Troy himself retired in 2005 to live in Silver Lake with his now husband, who he met at a leather bar in Silver Make. Cool. Which one? And he got married in Toronto in 2003. In 2019, he donated 12 artifacts of his and the church to the Smithsonian. Oh, wow. Including some of his vestments, uh, the prayer book he used in that first meeting, and a cross with broken glass on it from the fire from 1973. Wow. He had always felt when he started the church that one day the other major Christian denomination would change their views and accept homosexuality and the MCC would end and all the members would go back to their original denominations. Yeah. But he now feels that was a naive hope which is sad but at the same time who needs them yeah you're, you're real, it's a naive hope maybe but you've done so, yeah, something so much better you're so them. much better than yeah. them and that's the that's the metropolitan community church that's fantastic this guy I don't know if there's any pushback or controversy I did not read anything negative about him and he just seems like a good guy yeah, he's and he's well, he's in silver like let's go say hi <laughs> hey that's our pride month everybody hey and it was a great time but, but hey before we wrap up anything though we do have a listener question oh right 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 Right, right. Who wants to leave to go eat, right? Who's desperately starving right now and still has to rollerblade around all these horses <laughs> and then go grocery shopping and then eat? So this one is from Zach Neenan. Hi, Zach. He said, I recently read Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep and also watched the 1946 film adaptation. Lucky guy. They were both so engaging and I almost felt like I was there on the streets of gritty 1930s Los Angeles watching Philip Marlowe callously slap most of LA. <laughs> I was wondering if you guys could recommend any other works of art, movies, books, TV shows that best encapsulate a specific decade or time period in Los Angeles. I this mean, kind of feels a little bit like the way I answer the TV question, which is like, you know, Brady Bunch really is like yeah. Southern California <laughs> 70s for me. I, Bad News Bears is very 70s LA. Yeah, that's why I focused on movies because I, I don't know books. Yeah. And I already answered TV. <laughs> Do you have anything else? Yeah, I have a lot. I mean, like oh, book wise, okay. you know, if you're if you're still reading Raymond Chandler and, and into that, like James Alroy does a really good job of tying eras together to tell a story to be like, you know, the blacklist with what the Mickey Cohen was doing with what was happening in LA with like Sleepy Lagoon like he ties eras together really well so if we want to like channel into one particular era James Alroy is really the way to go like uh, Big Nowhere is a 
you know, a good one and Black Dahlia and Ali Confidential. He does like a really good job of, like I said, tying everything together. Vanessa Guerrero of the Take a Walk podcast. You might oh. know her as Vanessa Guerrero. Yeah, I, uh, that sounds like someone else's name that I know. <laughs> she was always trying to get me to eat, uh, read uh, Eve Babbitt's, which is like 70s Hollywood kind okay. of really fun, sexy stories. But she was always recommending that to me. And, you know, Joan Didion is fantastic. White Album and Play It As It Lays, I think is an, like a Hollywood Hills sort of alley book. That's a fantastic book. Uh, alley Noir and these are um, non-fiction. Alley Noir is a fantastic <laughs> crime book. Wait till I get to my self-help books about Los Angeles. <laughs> Bright and Guilty Place is another great crime book. If you're looking for like that era of Charles Crawford and the right. the City Hall gang and all of that stuff. Uh, another answer from last time. Drag, that's really good 50s LA. <laughs> I wrote a thing for the library about Bruce Brown documentaries. Have you seen, do you know who Bruce Brown is? No. Uh, he's responsible for Endless Summer and On oh. Any Sunday, the motorcycle. Okay. Then I do know him. Oh, those are fantastic. And they, you're just all about surfing these days. This is Surfing and motorcycling because of these two documentaries, <laughs> I want to go surf surfing. on a motorcycle. Uh, Endless Summer is not even, it's like a little bit in LA, but he goes, they go all over the world to yeah. surf. But it, there's something about the era and the music. I mean, the that guys are LA guys. And yeah, the guy LA guy, narrating yeah. it is very much an LA guy. Even when they're surfing in like Senegal, yeah. it still <laughs> feels like they're going to go eat a, at the burger stand after that. <laughs> Where like, it's is still, this? Hermosa yeah. Beach? It feels very Southern California to me. Yeah. Mine are all movies. I don't know. I'm sure they are. I'm <laughs> and they're all movies I've written. <laughs> but Michael Mann, what's Michael Mann's big LA movie? Not Heat. Heat. Is it like. Is it Heat? It might be Heat. No. Well, there are like 80s LA crime movies that are like, oh, that's like the perfect 80s LA movie. See, I, I decided to go 70s and below okay. because I felt like we're still kind of in the 80s in LA. Like things are still. Yeah, a little bit. I felt it was too close to home for me. Yeah. It's got to be a time I wasn't alive. <laughs> I decided to pick a few from different decades. I, from the 40s, like he already has, any movie based on or written by Raymond Chandler right. or Double Indemnity. Oh, film noirs are fantastic. Like yeah. Crisscross, Union Station. Uh, Crisscross, you see Bunker Hill. That's how old that is. Yeah, before it was Bunker Flatland. <laughs> for the 50s, Sunset Boulevard or Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. Those right. are good LA things. 60s, Targets. Targets is fantastic, yeah. And 70s, Shampoo. <laughs> yeah. Or one I haven't seen, but I get the feeling this is what you're looking for, and it's also Raymond Chandler. The Long Goodbye, but with Elliot Gould. Yeah, yeah. I think those are... Those, those are good. That's those good will choice. scratch whatever itch you have, Zach. Yeah. Whatever weird thing you're into. <laughs> hey, if you have a listener question for us, uh, we want more. Send it to us, la.meekly at gmail.com, or on Instagram, la underscore meekly. Send us a message there, Twitter at la meekly, and follow us on all those things. Yeah. And also, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us get more noticeable and help more people find us. And also subscribe to us on YouTube. We'd like to get more subscribers yeah, that'd on be nice. there. We have a bunch of, all of our segments of episodes are on there, cut up. And hopefully we'll have special YouTube stuff that is only viewable on YouTube, and that would certainly bring subscribers up. It'll certainly bring up the mean comments we get on YouTube. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've been itching to get more. Reddit's not enough for me. I want to go to the YouTube, the mean stuff people say on YouTube about me. The mean stuff they say on YouTube is just, it just burns in a different way than it does what they say on Reddit. The only nice thing things people say about me on YouTube, they're actually talking about Greg Gonzalez yeah, from Cigarettes After Sex and they're asking if I'm him. And that's the only nice things that I get on YouTube. So And they're still not that nice. Those and Patreon, like we talked about, support us there. So yeah, that's been our Pride Month episode. Many more to come. There were, there was... What? Dog. Go ahead. You only make that face as if a horse is coming <laughs> by. We've got a specific dog face and yeah. we've got a specific horse face. My mouth opens to... Which is uh, what people say to about us on YouTube <laughs> and Reddit. On YouTube, they say we have a horse face. On Reddit, they say more of a dog face. Yeah. We 
we, we've got many more gay rights stories in Los Angeles to get through in future yeah. years. They just this was long enough already. Yeah, I've uh, got, we, we've been in a park for yeah, four hours. I've got peanut butter go. crackers in my pocket that I've got to eat. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see you. Um, have a nice June. Have a nice uh, June. Hopefully, you can safely start going back into the world and enjoying. Yeah, the summer. Hey, we'll see what happens a few weeks after June fifteenth, and yeah. um, we'll see you again on July first. July first. I'll wow. see everybody. Hopefully, we'll be back indoors if we can uh, break our way into a classroom somewhere. Enjoy June. Enjoy the beginning of summer. That's been yet another episode of LA Meekly. Recording stories about civil rights under the shadow of Walt Disney since 2013. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going to go join the birthday party. I'm going to get a pizza before I go. Can this bounce house support the weight of a guy who people say has put on weight during the pandemic? Let's find out. <laughs> you mean I have to take my rollerblades off if I'm going to get in the bounce house? Forget it. Put a ramp. Just put a ramp. Timmy. <laughs> you idiot. Mm-hmm.